Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We continue our study in the pastoral epistles. Uh, remember how in last week in chapter 1, where Paul is speaking of teachers. Remember, it's Paul to Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul to Junior Pastor Timothy. And Paul speaks of teachers that they teach no other doctrine. You know, he tells, you know, uh, Timothy is an exhortation to restore order. And so, you know, that of these teachers that they teach no other doctrine, he explains that the law is for the lawless, uh, which includes any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He gives the example and showing of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And I shouldn't say the example. I mean, it was like really happening and not just like, you know, for example, this. No, this was really happening. Hymenaeus and Alexander. And these are two who were teachers, perhaps pastors, that Paul had committed to Satan. Remember, this is senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy. And Paul and Timothy are not like the average bears. Now, when we say this, you hear us say this, but listen to our prior studies. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, welcome. But, you know, purpose in your heart to listen to the prior studies, starting from the book of Acts. Starting from the book of Acts. And you're going to see, you know, you're going to understand and learn more about a very, very specific formula from Acts on up to where we are today. You're going to learn about a very specific formula. And not only that, in addition, you're also going to see and learn how God uses who he uses to keep his house clean. He doesn't use the average bear, so to speak. You see, it's very important for all of us, even more so in these last days, to understand the importance of formula, formula, formula. Because the threats are increasing in these last days. The threats are increasing outside the church, threats that are outside the church, and threats that are inside the church. Remember in Acts chapter 20, we see overseers, overseers who, where Paul says, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in. And he even says, even from among you, the threat will be. Now, these are people who are overseers in the church. And Paul says, when I leave, you guys are going to be the threat. You see? And so we start here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Remember, these are the pastoral epistles. Very specific. This is Paul writing to Timothy. This isn't Paul writing to the Ephesians. This isn't Paul writing to the Corinthians. This isn't Paul writing to the Philippians. This is Paul writing to Timothy. One-on-one. One-on-one. Paul to Timothy. Very special exhortations unto this pastor that Paul has poured into little Timmy. Now he's not little anymore. Now he's big Timmy. So you see here in verse one, therefore I exhort. Now we can't stress this enough. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. Now, Timothy 
he knows and remembers all the times past where Paul has had exhortations before. Paul makes these exhortations. I mean, remember in this, Paul and Timothy in this beautiful relationship, Timothy has submitted himself to Paul. And he knows that in so doing, it was safe for him. It was holy for him. And this is Timothy's teacher exhorting him. Very special, one-on-one. The pastoral epistles, one-on-one. This is Paul to Timothy. And, you know, there's this backdrop of for 14 years in that very special intimacy Timothy having this prior experience of choosing to submit himself to Paul. And in doing so, the things that he learned, the things that he experienced, the things that he was exposed to, you see? And so when Paul is writing to him in one of his prison letters, I mean, this is a prison letter. And Paul is writing and saying, I exhort, he says in verse 1, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Very interesting what we see here. Supplication is prayer request. And then when we see prayers, it's earnest prayers and intercessions. That is where, you know, others may not pray, but Pastor Paul is saying to Pastor Timothy, Pastor Paul is saying to Pastor Timothy, Timothy, you pray for them. They might not pray, but you pray for them. And not for your own favor, but for their own favor and for their benefit. He says, and giving thanks be made, and and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, remember, always be thankful. We studied that already in our prior uh, uh, studies in letters from Paul to the churches to have thankful hearts and always be thankful unto the Lord. You know, don't be, you ever, you ever see people that were, they 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 have unthankful hearts? You know, you get them a cup of coffee and it's like, oh, you know, you owe this to me. You know, it's like, well, what are you talking, where's the thanks? You know, or, you know, you, you get a burger and, you know, the guy thinks, oh, you know, you owe this to me. No thanks, no whatever. And it's like, okay, you know, I mean, you kind of know what you're dealing with. It's carnal. And that's one thing when it's done to humans, when it's done to, you know, when you're on the receiving end of, you know, you know, the, you know, the guy, like entitlement mentality. Well, you know, you, you owe me this burger. Well, you owe me this coffee, you know, and no thank you, no nothing. And you, you, you know what you're dealing with. It's carnal. It's of the flesh, but you know what you're dealing with. Never do that with the Lord. I mean, don't do that with people. I mean, but even more so, never do that with the Lord. Always be thankful unto him. Always, 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 always be thankful unto the Lord. And this is Paul saying to Timothy that this be made for all men. Now, remember, of all the hardships and problems and dilemmas and issues inside the church, of all that, and then also the external, that's internal, but then also external, like, you know, uh, the, the thumb of Rome and the thumb of the religious leaders and all these Things that, you know, the church faces, that Christians face. The saints that they face. And Paul to Timothy says, of all those things, prayer is 
first. Remember verse 1, I exhort, first of all, prayer is first. You know, there is a forgotten beauty of prayer in the church today. Thankfulness unto the Lord when he answers. Sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with people, male, female, young, old, and I have these conversations. And sometimes, you know, people say to me, you know, God doesn't answer my prayers. So, you know, does that mean like, you know, he's not real or God doesn't answer my prayers. So therefore I'm not going to believe in him or God doesn't answer my prayers. So, you know, they have all these reasons, but understand there is a specific formula in the word of God. He reveals himself through his word. I mean, he will be revealed. I mean, every eye will see him one day, but we're not there yet. That is a future event. We're not there quite yet. A little bit more that needs to happen. Just a little bit. And he will be revealed and every eye will see him. But until then, he has already revealed himself in his word. You see, and God sees the heart. He knows the heart. When he reveals himself through his word, who are the ones who respond to the Lord in how he reveals himself from his word? And who are the ones who respond? Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. He sees the heart. He tests the mind. He understands and he sees. Do you remember the thieves on the cross? And one of them says, the one who denied the Lord says, you know, you, if you are the son of God, then do this. Bring yourself down, you know. If you are the son of God, then do this. Well, look at his heart. Look at his heart wanting a miracle to believe. Well, if you're the son of God, do this. And, you know, the, you know, putting mandates. But then look at the other thief. No mandates. He didn't. He even told the guy, he says, look, we're here, we're dying, we're on the cross because of what we did. Rightfully so, you know, we hate it, but here we are. But him, he is innocent. Then he says to Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus responds and says, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Very specific formula because the Lord knows the heart. Jello. Remember, that's what we want. Jello hearts. Nice, beautiful, and soft hearts. Hearts that are circumcised unto the Lord. Hardness of heart? Not good. You see, a heart can be get harder than jello when it goes, you know, balsa to maple to oak to pine and then stone. We don't want stone hearts. Stone heart, not good. We want jello hearts. Oh, but God doesn't answer my prayers. Sometimes I hear it from Christians too. When we understand the formula and the full counsel of the word of God, there are other passages. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You see, that's what's going on inside the heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord Lord will not hear. You see, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. 
Oh, I love you, Lord. And you, Lord, can you know? Can you can you help me out with this, Lord? Can you help me out with this, Lord? Can you help me out with this? Okay, Amen. Now I'm gonna go do my crack. Oh, Lord, I need help over here. I need help over here. Okay, thank you, Lord. Amen. Now I'm gonna go do my sex. Now I'm gonna go do my Buddha. Now I'm gonna go do my Ouija boards. Now, now, now I'm gonna go do uh, uh, you know uh, 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 the occult. Now I'm gonna go do whatever it is. Don't forget the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Oh, but Lord, I have this prayer request, you know, and can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Amen. Now I'm going to go to the strip club. Doesn't work that way. That's regarding iniquity in your heart. You see, and the Bible says the Lord will not hear. He sees the heart. He He knows the condition of the heart. This is a very big deal. Men, husbands, men, my beautiful brothers whom I love. Men, 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 and husbands. You can weep and cry all you want. But the Bible says that if you deal treacherously with your wife, God has no regard for what you have to offer. That's Malachi chapter 2 verse 13. And 14. That's hardcore. You deal treacherously with your wife, but the Bible says the wife of your youth. You see, a lot of husbands are in trouble. I mean, you know, day one of marriage, I mean, you know, you know, you get, you get married when you're young, you know, day one of marriage, you know, wife has a certain appearance. But 40 years later, 30 years later, she doesn't look like she did, you know, back in the day. And so a lot of husbands, well, you know, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to, you know, dump you, you know, divorce, all these things. And I'm going to go back to this other lady. I'm going to go to this other, you know, whatever. You know what you're doing, man? You know what you're doing, husband? You're dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. Because in Christ... Wives, they become more beautiful in Christ, only in Christ. Because your eyes change, husband. Your eyes change. The Lord teaches you what beauty is. And when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can perceive those very things that the Lord says is beautiful. You can perceive, but Outside of that, look what happens. Look at marriages today. Now, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. The divorce rate inside the church is the exact same as the divorce rate in the world. You see? You weep, you cry. Oh, Lord, you know, help me here, help me here. That's nice. You deal treacherously with the wife of your youth? God says, I have no regard for your offering. Remember, the Lord never changes. Oh, I'm a new covenant believer. Okay, praise the Lord. But the Lord never changes. You see? 
That's hardcore. And a lot of times, men, you know, they, they get, they're married for 10 years, you know, 20 years, 30 years. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, oh, wife, you know, you let yourself go. You're chubby. You're wrinkly. Okay. I'm done with you. Divorce. I'm on to my second marriage. You see, I'm done with you. Pastors who are on their second marriage, pastors who are on their third marriage, unbiblical too, because when the, when the previous wives haven't died, they're still alive. Irreconcilable differences. A lot of times, okay, well, what's the irre- what's the irreconcilable difference? Well, she got chubby. Well, she got too many wrinkles. Well, you know, she doesn't wear her makeup. Like, she doesn't look like she did. Look at this picture from, you know, 20 years ago. Look at this picture from 30 years ago. Wow, she was a knockout and she doesn't look like that anymore. What the Bible says, the wife of your youth. Pastors who are on their second marriage, third marriage. I don't want that guy praying for me. I don't want that guy to teach me. I don't want that guy to pour into me. I don't want to submit myself to that guy. I say guy, but what I really should say is freak show. I don't want what he has to offer. Because he's compromised because what he has done is he has dealt treacherously with the wife of his youth. Because he divorced her. He divorced the second one. He divorced the third one. And now he's on his fourth wife. I don't want that guy to teach me. You see? People say, oh, you know, God doesn't God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, there's a reason. Remember, he is reactionary. He responds. There is a reason. And I'll give you a little hint. It's never God's fault. It's never God's fault. And I love you. But the formula must be right. I don't say these things to hurt you. But that's what truth does. That's what God's word does. There's a certain level of sting when it comes to truth. Because what the Lord does is he confronts the natural man. He confronts the natural woman. You see? Remember, Paul isn't speaking to a a brand new believer. He's speaking to Timothy. We're we're just like, you know, we we get an inside look of, you know, this, you know, uh, one-on-one. Paul to Timothy, we just get an inside look. You know, somebody leaked the letter and it just so happens to be in the Bible, which is, you know, global production. And so we have it. A lot of times people don't realize what this letter really is. It's one-on-one. It's Paul to Timothy. A little inside look. Timothy knows the formula. He knows all about the formula. He's been in with Paul, walking with Paul, intimacy with Paul for 14 years. You see? He knows all about it. And of all the things that come against the church inside and outside, Paul is saying to Timothy, first of all, prayer. Prayer first. You think God doesn't respond to the prayers of Timothy? Formula's right in Timothy. I say unto you, O contraire, my friend. The Lord responds to prayer. And some 
sometimes instantly. The Lord responds, absolutely. And sometimes people say, oh, the Lord's not answering my prayers. Well, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason. We have to understand these, these truths. We have to understand, you know, when when we stress formula, sometimes, you know, people say, can you stop saying formula? No, I'm not going to stop saying formula. On the, on the interwebs, through the ether. Oh, can you stop saying formula, formula? No, I'm not going to stop saying formula. Because the formula's got to be right. We have to understand, formula must be right. And we see these first prayer. And it's very interesting because, you know, prayer is first for all men. Does that mean it's for Christians? Now, yes, there's prayer for Christians and prayer unto Christians. That's one of the, 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 the duties of a, of a pastor. I say duty. It sounds too, like, official and formal, but it would do, it's like a, a pleasure in it. For a pastor to pray for the, the flock of God and the people of God, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a joy. But then at the same time, is Paul referring to, you know, to, to pray for the saints? In this case, no. No. You say, wait a second, that's, what are you talking about? No. Well, let's see verse two. For kings and all who are in authority. You see, these are the leaders of the land. The politicians. Very interesting what we see here. To pray for the leaders. I mean, I teach from America. So, you know, like congressmen, senators, presidents, you know, even like, you know, locally speaking, you have like mayors, governors, you know, you have council members, people who sit on, you know, like uh, boards, school boards and all kinds of different things and all kinds of officials that we have. And I teach from America. In the United States, we have what's referred to as a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And you look at government today, it's pretty messed up. Well, we have a representative government, which means what? The people are pretty messed up. Sometimes I have, you know, long conversations with patriots. Oh, the elections are stolen. The elections are stolen. Okay, I get it. Okay, if that's, yeah, the elections are stolen, I get it. But from my perspective, that shows that people have been messed up for quite a long time. By electing the people who partake and partook in these political shenanigans. There's a deeper problem. The deeper problem is this. The church has lost its flavor. And the Lord teaches us what happens when salt loses its flavor. You know, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, which is an absolute truth of Christians. Christians, you are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth in absolute truth. But there's more. He says, what happens, what, what are, you know, when salt loses its flavor? 
He says when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men. Look at the state of our culture. Look at the state of our world. Look at the state of our neighborhoods, of our cities, our towns, our states, our nation. And it's trampled underfoot by men. The church has lost its flavor. Prophetically speaking, this is one of the signs of the times. You see, the events of the last days have precursors, which tells us it's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted is exactly like the Old Testament when God is forgotten. When God is forgotten. I mean, we're in the book of Joshua. If you listen with the, with the uh, on, on Wednesdays, Old Testament, we're, or Wednesdays we do the Old Testament. We study the Old Testament and, you know, we're in Joshua. And things are beautiful with Israel. And Israel is obedient unto the Lord, but it's under the leadership of Joshua and the elders. And, you know, we're going to get into judges. But what happens is that when Joshua dies and and the elders die, all of a sudden, Israel, they start turning to the idols, to the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the Molech. They start turning. And the Lord quickly becomes forgotten. And then we see in the aftermath what happens as a result. A whole lot of mess ensues. Nothing new under the sun. It's an Old Testament example of flavorless salt. You see? An Old Testament example of salt that has lost its flavor. Salt loses its flavor for a reason. You see? And so Paul is writing to Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul is writing to Junior Pastor Timothy. He says, you know, first of all, to pray. Intercession, supplication, prayers, and giving of thanks be made for all men. But then at the same time, you know, understand for kings and who and and who for kings and all who are in authority. Pray for the leaders. So what's the reason? In verse 2, he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That we, now this is the church. Pray for the leaders so that we, speaking of the church, saints, Christians, believers, so that we may lead a lead, which is to live and keep a quiet and peaceable life, which is tranquil, still, and Undisturbed life. You see? Now you see, when tumultuous times come, happens for a reason. I mean, when tumultuous times come to Israel, it happens for a reason. Absolutely it happens for a reason. When when Israel starts to lose battles, it happens for a reason. When Israel loses ground and the borders shrink, it happens for a reason. And 100% of the time, it's because the Lord becomes forgotten among his people. That's what happens. Old Testament and New Testament. 
It's hardcore. You say, how can it be New Testament? Because there was persecutions. Well, do you remember how Peter rejoiced when he suffered shame for the name of the Lord? I mean, he, he was on the receiving end of a beatdown. And yet he rejoiced. You say, that's not peace. That's not peace because he got the beatdown. Well, look with spiritual eyes. Don't look with carnal eyes. With carnal eyes, yes, he was on the receiving end. With spiritual eyes, he rejoiced. Why? He has the peace of the Lord in his heart. You don't see that in the church today. You see people fake it. They come to church with a smile on their face. Oh, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. They got a smile on their face and everything looks fine and dandy. But then they get in the car and they start crying because they're depressed about whatever. They go home and they, you know, sink their face in the bottle because they're depressed about something. Now, I'm not trying to say that, you know, depression, very valid. Anxiety, very valid. Sorrow, extremely valid. But understand, in with those emotions, to whom do we go? Because when the formula is right in your heart, my beautiful brother, when the formula is right in your heart, my beautiful sister, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. When the formula is right and you have intimacy with the Lord, 100% of the time he responds. And in my experience, usually without delay. Sometimes people make excuses. You hear pastors teach, well, you know, you can pray and sometimes, you know, the Lord doesn't respond because he's trying to teach you patience because he wants you to wait, which I get, I understand. And sometimes the Lord wants us to wait. But when the formula is right and you have intimacy with the Lord, you pray and usually without delay, I mean, I tell you this from experience. When I had delay in my prayers, it was because I was lukewarm. When, when you know, I had no answers or even delay, it was because I was lukewarm. But, you know, once you amp it up and are white hot for the Lord, usually without delay. Sometimes he wakes you up. You pray, you're at your bedside, you're reading the, you know, they're reading the word, you know, and you put the Bible down, you say a prayer and you make your prayers and petitions known. You go to sleep in the middle of your sleep, you wake up. Boom. Answer right there. You see? That's the beauty of intimacy. You know, when we stress intimacy and formula, when we stress these things, it's so that we can understand. Formula's got to be right. And it's true, you know, sometimes, you know, there's delay in how the Lord responds or how the Lord, you know, answers prayers. Sometimes there's delay and sometimes, you know, the Lord is trying to teach you patience. But, you know, when the formula is right in you, you are, you, you know, patience. I mean, what father? Baby girl comes to Papa. Papa, I, I need help. What father would say, okay, you know, that's nice. Struggle, you know, struggle more. I mean, in this world, we do have examples of crummy dads. But we also have examples of dads that aren't crummy. How much more our father in heaven? Father, I need help. Boom. 
help, boom. You see? But when the formula is wrong, you deal treacherously with the wife of your like, oh, my wife, you know, I've been married for, you know, 20 years, you know, 10 years. My wife is chubby. She doesn't do the makeup anymore. And so, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to say a quick prayer. And afterwards, I'm going to go visit the strippers. And then after the strippers, I'm going to go to the casino, you know, and all these things. And after the casino, I'm going to go, you know, to the Catholic Church and worship Mary. And after that, you know, I'm going to get, you know, the uh, the free crack pipes that they give away at the Catholic Church. And, you know, the government crack pipes that they give away at the Catholic, Catholic Church. And I'm going to go see my friend and we're going to go do crack and all these things. But, you know, let me say a quick prayer. Lord, I need help. You think he's going to answer? When you regard iniquity in your heart, you think he's going to answer? And it's a double whammy. You're dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. You think he's going to answer? And then said person goes to church. And female pastor. Female pastor says, well, you know, sometimes God, he doesn't answer prayers. And he's trying to teach us a lesson. He's trying to show us how to teach us how to be patient. Said individual is sitting in the pews. Oh, yeah, you know, okay. Amen, amen, sister. So I need to learn patience. So after church, I'm going to go grave soaking. I'm going to go lay on the grave. Maybe that'll help me in my prayer life. Maybe that'll help me with this spiritual warfare because the Lord, the Lord's not answering my prayers because, you know, spiritual warfare. And You see, everything's out of whack. The formula's not right on multiple levels. And said individual and female pastor, the formula's not right all over the place. Grape soaking, formula. The, the formula's out of whack. Like in here, 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 everywhere. The formula's out of whack. And so people have this notion, this idea. You know, if God is for me, who can be against me? The question is, are you for God? Are we for God? The God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, whose word is above his name. People can proclaim Jesus all they want. But the formula's got to be right. I mean, it's blasphemous and they will pay the price in the life to come. But we have the full counsel of the word of God with us. Genesis to Revelation, the formula's got to be right. You see? And so Paul is telling Timothy, you know, we want the saints that we can lead a quiet and peaceable life. You know, I love this because this is, Paul's in prison and he's writing this. One of his prison letters, he's in house arrest. You see? And he's about ready to die as well. You know, several years into the future and he's going to die. And he's, tell, you know, looking out for the saints. We want the saints we want the church. We want them to be able to live and keep a quiet and peaceable life, to be in tranquility and stillness and undisturbed. We want that. Why do we want that? He says still in verse 2, so that they can be in all godliness and reverence, which is reverence is honesty, honor, and virtue. You see? That's what we want, Timothy. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. 
This is what we want. We want the saints to be in peace, to be undisturbed and tranquil so that they can live in godliness and reverence, godliness and honesty and honor and virtue unto the Lord. So you know what we do, Timothy? Remember, this is one-on-one. We just have a, you know, a look inside baseball of what's happening here. We just have an inside look. You know, I don't know if, you know, the, the letter was leaked. The letter was leaked and it just so happens to be included in the canon of scripture. And so we see, wow, you know, this is, this is how Pastor Paul writes to Pastor Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul writes to Junior Pastor Timothy. And since Timothy, we want the saints to live in peace and tranquility so that they can be in godliness and reverence unto the Lord. Since that's the case and we want that and we strive for that, we desire that. Pray for their leaders. Pray for their kings and all in authority. Pray for their mayors and governors and council members and school boards and pray for their presidents and prime ministers and their kings and pray for, pray for their governments. Timothy. You see? That's hardcore. All supplications, prayers, and intercessions. And thanks. You see? Because we want the saints, we want the church to be in peace. See, I'll tell you a hard truth. And I love you. In the Old Testament and New Testament, restoration, revival, only comes through circumcision of heart. Only. Only. I'll say it again. Restoration, revival, only comes through through circumcision of heart. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament and New Testament, you see a God, godly man or a godly woman enter into a position. You see it happen like in God's favor. It's God's favor. I mean, look at look at Esther. Look at Ruth. You see a woman, you see a man enter into a position and cleanliness and restoration and revival. It flows from there. It flows from the godly. But in the New Testament, in accordance not to the law, but in the fulfillment of the law, the new covenant, you never see Carnal combat combatants. Never. And we say that for a reason. Because today, pastors and non-pastors are fighting a spiritual war. But they're fighting carnally. 
Oh, the government is doing this. The government is doing this. Come on, let's go pick it. Let's go do this and let's go do that. Oh, we're going to beat you up. We're going to fight you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And you say like, they don't say we're going to beat you up. Well, look at the fights that ensue. Look at the fights that ensue. A pastor gets arrested and then look at the carnality in the saints. Because you read the book of Acts. What happens when Peter was in jail? Do you see the church? Do you see them, you know, going to the jail to, to rescue, to going to the jail to break them out and, you know, beat up the, the guards and, you know, beat up the, the officials? No. They're in their house praying. Home fellowship praying. That's what they're doing. You don't see them fighting carnally. You see them fighting, absolutely. But they're fighting on their knees. Spiritual war. And they're praying. I mean, you look at the exact same. I mean, you, you, you look, okay, take, take, take Peter. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's, in, you know, iron bars and everything. And you have him in jail at night. And in one, one moment, he's in jail. The next moment, he's with his brothers and sisters in the Lord. The, the next morning. So, you know, on, on, you know, Paul's in, uh, Peter's in jail. And then the next day, he's with the church. Now, how was that achieved? Now, not to get beyond the biblical here or ace of Jesus or anything like that, but let's just, let's just look at this. So Peter's in jail and the next moment he's with the church. Now he's with the church. He's with the saints, brothers and sisters. And, you know, praise be to the Lord. But how is that achieved? Because in one side, it's like, okay, what if, what if, what if there was a jailbreak? What if, you know, you have the, the church and they organize and they plot and they say, okay, you know, at this time we're going to go in and we're going to invade and we're going to, you know, you take out this guard, you take out this guard and, you know, we're going to go in here and breach here and then you take out this guard and you take out this guard and all these things and, you know, I'm going to take the keys and, you know, we're going to take, take, you know, do the key and open the gate and open the, the, the jail cell and boom, we got Peter and now we're going to, you know, exfil and, okay, you got the guards over here, you take out this guy and everything is planned. And, you know, mission success. The next day, Peter, they're all together. Mission success. Oh, look, we did it. We did it. We did it. But then you take what the Bible says. And the saints were praying. Praying. And Peter was freed. Peter was joined with the saints, and they're together. But the saints can't say, we did it, we did it, we did it. The saints can be on their faces before the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You see? The objective was achieved in both scenarios. We got the objective. We're now with Peter and Peter's freed. We rescued him and all they did. I mean, Peter's with the saints. Peter's with the saints. The 
the, the the end of you know the objective was achieved. Peter is free and he's with the saints. That's the objective. But on one side, it's carnal. We did it. On the other side, it is not carnal. The Lord did it. The Lord responded to their prayers instantly. Instantly. I mean, it was so instant and, you know, out of the blue that even Peter thought he was dreaming. Even Peter thought he was dreaming. You see? But the Lord responded to the prayers of the saints. I mean, they were so like, you know, they, they were so like, you know, like in disbelief. I mean, they're believers, they're praying. But even then, when the Lord responded instantly, they were so so much in disbelief. They, they thought it was Peter's ghost. They thought like, wow, you know, they killed, you know, Peter was in jail and, you know, they killed him. And, you know, this is his ghost. You know, that's what they thought. That's not, you know, the, the girl who answered the door, she's like, you know, it's Peter. Like, no, that's not Peter. You, you know, but I saw his face. It's Peter. No, that's not Peter. You just saw his ghost. Oh, man. They probably killed him. And everybody's like a somber heart. Oh, they probably killed him. No, no, no. It's Peter. I see Peter. Peter comes in and they all rejoice. Remember we stopped? I mean, read the book of Acts. Go through our studies in the book of Acts and it will blow you away. The Lord will blow you away. How he works. And then you have, you know, the uh, uncircumcised hearts today. Who say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit, the, you know, the Lord doesn't move like that like he did 2,000 years ago. Those are the uncircumcised. Uncircumcised hearts. Non-believers. Yes, non-believers. The Lord moves. The Lord responds. The formula's got to be Right. And so, Paul, we get this inside look of Paul writing to Timothy, you know, pray for those in authority. Pray for those in authority. And today you have pastors who don't do this for the benefit of the saints. To pray for the leaders and the congressmen and the school board and you know the 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 senators and the mayors and you know the officials and superintendents and you don't see pastors doing that today you say oh they're fighting a spiritual war okay it's a spiritual war yes but they're fighting carnally they're fighting carnally and to fight a a spiritual war carnally, 100% of the time, you will lose. 100% of the time, you will lose if you fight a spiritual war carnally. Now we see, understand even deeper, that salt loses its flavor for a reason. You see? Remember, this is, this is Paul to Timothy. Overseer Paul to overseer Timothy. And he's saying, pray for their leaders. Pray for those that are in authority. You have a, a saint that lives far away outside of your jurisdiction. Paul is saying, no, that's your jurisdiction. Pray for their leaders. Pray for their mayors. 
Pray for, you know, pray for them. Because you want these saints to have a quiet and peaceable life. That they can be in godliness and reverence and virtuous and honor unto the Lord. And so, Timothy, pray for them. Pray for their leaders. You see? Not a carnal fight. Not trying to, you know, devise a, a plan and a scheme, you know, to, you know, oh, yeah, this is, you know, the, the, the government is against us. And so, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to pick it and we're going to do this. And, you know, if we get arrested, then, you know, you, you're the big guy. You take this guy out. You know, okay, you know, I'm going to stand next to you because you're a big guy. And, you know, I have extra protection because you're a big guy. And, you know, you can help me out here. And that's carnal. Pastors today are fighting a spiritual war carnally. What about being on your face before the Lord, pastor? If you're a pastor and you're listening, what about being on your face before the Lord? For school boards, for mayors, you see, local leaders. You have a person that drives, you know, Three mile, a uh, 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 thirty miles to come to church, fifty miles to come to church. He said, "Oh, that's out of my jurisdiction." No, pray for the leader in the next town and the next two towns. Pray for their their leaders. Pray for the school board over there because you want those saints. The saints have, you know, kids. You want them to go to their school and you know be in peace, have good teachers. Pray for their teachers if they're not homeschooled. Be on your face before the Lord. And so we see here in verse 3, remember this is pastor to pastor, Paul to Timothy, and he's saying first pray for leaders. Now we understand that the benefactors are the saints so that they can live quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. In reverence, But then he says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable. This is translates as this is beautiful and accepted in the sight of God our Savior. Now, in the sight of God our Savior is in the presence of God our Savior. You see, Paul knows all about intimacy. He has intimacy. Timothy knows all about intimacy. He has intimacy. And he's saying to Timothy, this is beautiful and acceptable. This is beautiful and accepted in the sight, in the presence of God our Savior. See, Paul's in prison. But he's in the presence of the Lord. Timothy in the presence of the Lord. Peter in the presence of the Lord. John in the presence of the Lord. Intimacy. And of God in verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see? Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, it's very interesting how we see this pan out because Paul is saying here that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, in in God's presence. But understand, when the formula is right, you see, like just like the Old Testament under Moses, it's good. When Moses is the leader, praise the Lord, it's good. When Joshua is the leader, praise the Lord, it's good. When Korah is the leader, no, it's like, you know, the earth opens up and you're dead. If you follow Korah, you see, not good. When Timothy's the leader, when Timothy is the, when, 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 when Paul is the, the pastor, when, when, when you submit yourself to Paul, praise the Lord. 
You submit yourself to Timothy? Praise the Lord. You submit yourself to Himenaeus? Not good. You see? And then we see in verse 4, who desires, this is speaking of the Lord, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, the Calvinist and Reformed theory person would say, oh, but he predestines people to hell. That God predestines people to hell. No, the Bible doesn't teach that God predestines people to hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. But listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll learn more about predestination, biblical predestination. And then also listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast because you're starting to see Calvinists today and Reformed theology people. They call it theology, but it's really a theory. You're starting to see Reformed theory people teach that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. You see? We see here in verse 4 that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, you know, when you hear us say that pastors today and Christians today are fighting a spiritual war carnally, which is bad. I mean, it's indicative of salt that loses its flavor. But then at the same time, sometimes Christians are just straight up jerks. Sometimes pastors are just straight up jerks. I mean... Say, for example, say, for example, you and me are like hardcore liberals. We're hardcore liberals and, you know, we, we, we like are, we get kind of cringy over Christians. This is for example. Say we're hardcore liberals. You know, you got the blue hair. I got the pink hair or, you know, vice versa. <laughs> you got the pink hair. I got the blue hair, you know, and we're just hardcore liberals. You know, we have the liberal mentality, everything, you know, like super hardcore liberal. And then all of a sudden, a Christian comes to us and we start, you know, we have, we engage in this conversation or he or she engages us and, and we're just like, no, you know, we're, we're not down with that, you know, just leave us alone and this and that. And then all of a sudden, you see, the Christian starts to become a jerk. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, this Christian's a jerk. I want nothing to do with Christianity. He's a jerk. She's a jerk. I want nothing to do with that. You see, then you see like, you know, uh, 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 we're we're walking down. Remember, we're hardcore liberals. I got the blue hair. You got the pink hair. And we're walking down the street. You know, we're walking down the street. And then we see like a a pastor being arrested. And we see a pastor being arrested. And we're like, oh, what's going on over here? We walk closer. And then you see like Christians start to beat up the police. And we're like, whoa, like, you know, it's like what they're saying, you know, you know, let our pastor go. Let our start beating up the police. And, you know, you see like two cops on the ground. They're just getting wailed on. It's like, well, these are Christians. They're being on the cops. What's happening? And then they, they, you know, come to find out that the person who told us was trying to tell us about Jesus Christ before was a member of that church. We're like, well, okay, now it's for certain. I want nothing to do with Christianity. I got my blue hair. You got your pink hair. And we continue on our way with my blue hair with your pink hair. We're like super liberals. And now we're closed off to Christianity. Now we're closed off to Jesus Christ. Because of him? No. Because of the jerky Christians. Who are carnal. They're carnal. Because they're fighting a spiritual war carnally. 
There's no fruit of the Spirit. You know, somebody says, oh, you know, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Remember, we're, you know, I got my blue hair, you got your pink hair. And we're walking down the street, the guy comes to us, the girl comes to us, whoever comes to us. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And we're like, no, you know, we, no, we're not down with that. And, you know, conversation ensues. And all of a sudden, you know, the guy becomes a jerk. The, the lady becomes a jerk. Because we're rejecting what she has to say. And, you know, all of a sudden he becomes a jerk. She becomes a jerk. And she's talking about the love of God. He's talking about the love of God. And we, we, we like see the transformation. Remember, we're like super liberals. I got my blue. You got your pink. And, it, it, you know, like all, we, we just straight up see them. Like, well, they're like turning into jerks right before our eyes. You know why? It's because it's the flesh. It's the flesh. They're carnal. And then we walked that. We were like, no, thanks. You know, we have a conversation. You know, we're not trying to pick a fight. Even, you know, we're like super liberals. I got my blue. You got your pink. We're going to, you know, go to the convenience store, get a soda, get a hot dog. And, you know, we continue on our way. We're walking down the street. We're like super liberal. We see the pastor getting arrested. We see the cops getting beat up. And you see, you know, the elder, you know, beating up the cops, you know. And we're like, oh, my goodness. Like, what in the world? We want nothing. This is Christianity. We want We want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do. It's like, well, why is it? Then we talk to a Calvinist. The Calvinist is like, well, you're predestined to hell. What? Now I really want nothing to do with Christianity because this guy, he's a jerk because he says that we're predestined for hell. Then we walk down the street and, you know, the, the lady is saying, oh, you know, oh, you're predestined for hell. You know, the, 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 like, we want nothing to do with Christianity because all the Christians are jerks. I don't want that. If all these people are Christians and they're jerks, I don't want that. Remember, we're super liberals. I got my blue, you got your pink. We got our hot dogs, we got our soda, we're walking on our way. Just minding our own business, getting on with life, and rejecting Jesus Christ. Not because of Him, but because of those who say they follow Him. Unbeknownst to us, because we're super liberals, I got my blue, blue hair, you got your pink hair. Now our bellies are full because the hot dog's gone. Now eat some chips. And we say we want nothing to do with Jesus because of what we experienced in these jerky Christians who think they are following the Lord but in them, now what's really happening is their formulas are way out of whack. Way out of whack. And don't forget what the Bible says here in verse 4. That God desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And sometimes Christians are the very ones who are roadblocks through their own carnal behaviors. You see? 
These are things that are going to be amplified and will grow worse in the last days. Now, I'm not trying to come off as like, you know, have sympathy for the devil, but understand that these are things that the devil, Lucifer, Satan, he will absolutely exploit. Remember, you know, go back to the liberal example. You know, I got my blue hair, you got your pink hair. We're done with our chips now. Now we're just, we're, you know, finishing off our sodas. We're just walking along our merry way. And now we want nothing to do with Christianity because of what we've experienced, not of Jesus, of Christians. You see? That's, and it could be, you know, maybe they're baby Christians. Maybe they think they're mature Christians, but really they're mature Christians where, you know, in, in, uh, where the formula's not right. You know, mature Christians like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a hardcore Calvinist and, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, you're predestined for hell and all this. And I'm of the elect. I'm predestined for heaven. You see the formulas. Every, everything is just way out of whack. But we don't know it because we're liberals. We want we want nothing to do with, with, with Christianity. We've known nothing about Christianity. We finished our hot dogs. We finished our chips. And now we're finishing our, our sodas. And we're going along on this path. But this pathway leads to hell. You see? We're walking along this wide road. And it leads to hell. And you and me, we want nothing to do with Christianity because of the Christians. Not because of Jesus. Because of the Christians who are fighting carnally instead of spiritually. And when the formula's out of whack, there's no fruit. Which is why you see the rise of carnality inside the church. You see? These are things that Satan will 100% exploit in the last days. You see? And it's going to get to the point where now the world, they're going to want to kill the Christians, persecute the Christians, kill the Christians. You see? The whole time, the enemy, Satan, he's just exploiting the carnality in the church. And in so doing, exploiting his foothold on the non-believer. And also exploiting his foothold on the non-believer through doctrine that is not sound. Yes, I specifically say non-believer for a reason. Remember our study on Wednesday, how we reference, you know, when Jesus says, you know, how long will these people refuse me who do not believe in me? You say, how could they not believe in the Lord? Because they don't obey him. You see, they don't follow his formula. Oh, but they're Christians. How can you say they're non-believers? Where's the obedience? You see, well, this guy's a Christian. This guy's a Christian. Okay, but he's he's going to the strippers, doing the Buddha, going to doing the occult, doing the Ouija boards. He can call himself a Christian all he wants till he's blue in the face. But I read my Bible and I don't see Christian. You see? Let's be straight up. Let's just be straight up. You know, I, I call it like I see it. 
And the Lord, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And sometimes Christians are the roadblock to those very things. You see? Because of carnality. And other reasons, but I mean, you know, carnality is a biggie. And yet we see in verse 5, for there is one God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is one God whose name was changed to Israel. There is one God and one mediator translates as reconciler between God and men. You see, understand that sin is separation from the Lord. Sin, that's, it, it's so easy. It's so simple. Sin is separation from God. He is holy. There is one way, one mediator who bridges that gap. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, a ransom which is translates as the redemptive price or atonement. Remember, life is in the blood for all, for all, for all, for all. Now, the Calvinist reformers, they'll say, well, you know, that it's, it's only for the elect. It's not for the non-elect. But I'll give you an example. If you come knocking on my door, I open the door and I say, you know, hey, nice to meet you. What can I do for you? And then you say, you know, hey, I got a gift for you. You have a box behind your back and you pull it up and you say, here, I got a gift for you. Now, several things can happen at that point. I can say, get off my property. Get out of here. Go fly a kite. Or I can say, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. Throw it in the trash. Or I can receive it. I can open it. Oh my goodness, this is perfect. I've always wanted one of these. And then I can fall deeper and deeper in love with you. You see, sometimes people have these preconceived notions about, well, you know, so Jesus Christ died and the Bible says all, but, you know, it's only in a saving way, you know, only for the elect who the Lord predestines. I mean, you can get study Bibles, you know, the edition one, edition two, you know, all these different editions. Oh, you know, I, I should have wrote this there. Or I should have had this there. Or we're going to change this and do this. Look at the, it's like the Lord never changes. He never changes. You and me, we align ourselves to him. You see? It is absolutely true that the Lord desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he desires. He doesn't care how holy you are or how wicked you are. He desires everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And Jesus Christ did give himself as ransom for all. But it's like that gift example. You give me a gift. They say, okay, you know, get out of here. Or I take it, you know, buy, throw it in the trash. Or I see it, open it. I've always wanted this. And then I fall deeper and deeper in love with you. You see, Jesus gave himself for all. But not all receive. Why is that? Well, the Bible says, you know, 
People love darkness more than the light. That's like the example where I say, okay, get off my property. Oh, I got a gift for you. That's nice. Get out of here. That's the example. People loving darkness more than the light. But then there's more. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. Something we always reference and we're going to keep on referencing. And in Luke chapter 8, we see this in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. You see? So there's a snare where like, you know, okay, so light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light. So it's like, okay, thank you, Lord. Or, you know, you call yourself Jesus, but, you know, no thanks. I love the darkness more than the light. That's one aspect. Which is still a choice. Still a choice. Absolutely. 100% of the time, it is a choice. To love darkness, that is a choice. To love the light, that is also a choice. You see? Now look what happens here in verse 12. You see that the devil comes away and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And that's what Satan desires. He doesn't want anybody to believe. And that's the big problem with darkness. One of many problems with darkness is that through association with darkness, look at what happens. Now the enemy has access to a heart, a heart that hears the word of God. And all of a sudden the devil comes and takes it out, takes the seed out of the heart because lest they should believe, believe and be saved. You see, it's very interesting because in our study in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Lord desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now you see Lucifer, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want anybody to believe and be saved. That's, that's the warfare. God desires your salvation. Satan desires for you not to be saved. That's, that's the great, in a nutshell, that's the great battle. And then what happens if a person receives the word? Now we see in verse 13, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. You figure, wow, you know, you have a brand new believer. Praise the Lord, look, they believe. But the Bible says it's only for a while. It's short term. It's not forever. It's not till their last dying breath. What does that say of once saved, always saved? You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved is real. That's not what the Bible says. It's real to that guy. It's real to that lady. But they're crazy. They're wrong. That's not what the Bible says. You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved. The Bible says that Jesus will never lose any of us. Okay. True. Absolutely. Don't walk away. You see? Because notice in verse 13, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. You see, they were tempted. And in walking away, they fell away. What does that say of once saved, always saved? It means once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Calvinist, Reformed, Presbyterian. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Straight up. 
Don't forget that names can enter the book of life and names can be blotted out from the book of life. What does that say about once saved, always saved? Knowing that names can be blotted out of the book of life. You see? I'm just a messenger. You say, I can't believe that my whole life I've been taught once saved, always saved. Okay, your whole life. You've had the wrong formula in who you call pastor. No bad formula in him. Which means you got to jump ship. You see? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. That is doctrine that is sound. No crazy town. Sound doctrine. Green pastures, still waters. Sound doctrine. So now we see that light comes into the world and people love darkness more than the light. Okay, so people love darkness. They made their choice. It's a choice. A person chooses to love darkness more than the light. See, it's very interesting. It's not to say that they hate the light. They just love the darkness more. You see? Doesn't say, you know, Jesus, I hate you. Yeah, Jesus, I love you. But I also like my crack. I also love my sex. I also like my Buddha. I also love my, you know, whiskey. I also love the strippers. I also love the casino. You see? Bible doesn't say, you know, that people, you know, uh, uh, that people love, the, the Bible says that people love darkness more than the light. And through association with darkness, look at Satan has access to the heart. And when Satan has access to the heart, look at what he can remove from the heart. Holy seed. You see? Very important. This is warfare. This is warfare. I mean, if I were going to go into war, like a, a, a carnal, like physical, like literal war, if I were going to go into a war and I knew nothing about combat, I don't want to be trained by, you know, like the, you know, cupcake makers. No, no offense. If you make cupcakes for a living, you know, praise the Lord. You know, I love cupcakes. Bakers, I love you guys. But I mean, if I'm going to go into like hardcore combat, I don't want to be trained by the cupcake makers. You see, I want to be trained. If I'm going to hardcore combat, I want to be trained by the hardcore. I want to be taught by the hardcore. You see? And that's that's just a war according to the world. How much more the spiritual war? Remember Paul when he says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Think of all the teachers that were in Corinth. But through defunctness, look at the fruit of Corinth, rotten fruit of Corinth. Except in beautiful Chloe's house. Rotten fruit of Corinth through Carnal. This is before the separation. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You see, let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You see, and understand that the Lord in verse 6, he gave himself a ransom for all. It's available, it's a free gift. Remember, he says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock, and if you hear, I will come in. And when the Lord makes himself known, when you know that it's okay, balls in your court. Once you know, balls in your court. Once you know, balls in your court. 
Just like the liberal example, I got my blue hair, you got your pink hair. We finish our hot dogs, we finish our chips, and we want nothing to do with Christianity. It's not because of Jesus. It's because of the Christians. The guy's a jerk. The guy over here, he's a jerk. These guys over here, they're jerks. This lady over here, she's a jerk. Because they're carnal. And that's a big problem in the church today because I can't tell you how many times I talk to Satanists, atheists, atheists, and on rare occasion, even the Luciferian. And, you know, it, it, it usually doesn't start out so well. Usually it's combative. Not on my end, but usually it's combative on their end. Oh, you stupid Christians, this, this, it's okay. You really want to have this conversation? Oh, yeah, I'm going to put an end to you. I'm going to put an end to this. We're going to hash this out. We're going to talk about this. We're going to discuss this. And yes, let's hash it out. Okay. No other conversation, just you and me. You agree to that? Yeah, I do. You stupid. You dummy. You idiot. Yeah, I agree to it. Okay, let's go. Let's hammer it out. Okay, let's do just that. What's the problem? Well, you say this and you say this. Hold on. Hold the phone. I never said that. Mr. Study Bible guy said that. The guy with the study Bible. But he also says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. Next. Oh, you teach this. If God is so good, then why does he allow this? Wait, wait, hold the phone there. Okay. Very valid point. But I never said that. I never taught that. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Mr. Study Bible guy says that. Who also says take the mark of the beast. Now we know that's a lie from the pit of hell. Now knowing that it's a lie from the pit of hell and knowing that he serves his master, the devil, Lucifer, because he wants Christians to take the mark of the beast. What does his doctrine look like? You see? Now, in accordance to Reformed theology, in accordance to Calvinism, yes, your argument is valid. But Calvinism, Reformed theory, wrong, unbiblical. You see, you have Calvinists and Reformers today. When I say Reformers, I'm speaking about Reformed theology. What they call theology, I call theory. They're speaking of Reformed theory. And these Calvinists and Reformed theory people, they say, well, you know, God ordains all things to come to pass. So all the wars, it's ordained by the Lord. That's God's doing. He made that happen. The Holocaust, he made that happen. This is what they teach in seminary. This is what they teach in, you know, their institutions. One guy even recently said, well, I recently, it was posed to me and we hashed it out. And one seminary professor says that God ordains the rape of a child in his sovereignty. He made that happen. And in his sovereignty, ordaining these things happening, he ordains it because it's part of his glory. It's to glorify him. That's wicked. I mean, to talk to, have these conversations with the Satanists, the Luciferians, the atheists, who hate God. But to have these conversations and say, wait a second. 
The God that you hate is not the God of the Bible. It's the God of Mr. Study Bible Guy. It's the God of the grave soakers. It's the God of the replacement theory people, replacement theology people. It's not the God of the Bible. And having these long conversations with, you know, I'm, I'm specifically thinking about one specific Luciferian who's, I may call a brother pretty soon. And I hope to, because I desire to. But sometimes people have these preconceived notions about Christianity, not because of Jesus, but because of the Christians. You see? And yet it remains that God gave himself in verse 6 a ransom for all to be testified in due time or to be evidential in due time or proper time. You know, like you have a courtroom environment, courtroom setting, you know, the, the proceedings begin, you know, the court is, you know, you know, the, the, the gavel, you know, you know, court is in session, you know, and the honorable judge, you know, whoever presiding, you know, and Everybody, you know, swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And everybody says, okay, yes, I'll do that. And in due time, in these court proceedings, you know, Exhibit 1 is submitted as evidential. Same thing for the Christian. That as evidential, when the Court proceedings begin. Ransom. The price is paid. The blood of Jesus Christ. Only for the Christian. You see? You have Buddha. I love you, but you're going to burn in hell. You have Mary. I love you, but you're going to burn in hell. You have Moroni, I love you, but you're going to burn in hell. You got Watchtower, I love you, but you're going to burn in hell. You got to jump ship right here, right now, is to believe in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. I'm just the messenger. And if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you hit pause right here, right now. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you, you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back and you listen. And we grow together, but at the same time, know that one day in proper time, you will be presented as evidential, having the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of your heart. You see? We see here in verse 7, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. This is, remember, Paul to Timothy. Paul to Timothy. I was appointed a preacher. Remember our study in chapter one, you know, when Paul says, you know, God put me in this ministry. God put me here. I'm I'm doing this because God put me into ministry. In verse seven, for which I was appointed a preacher, which is a proclaimer of truth and an apostle, which is a messenger as one who is sent. And he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. Now you, you hear this and I don't see this as Paul like pleading his case to Timothy. I see it more as a reminder to Timothy, whom he loves as a son. That truth has a reward. Timothy, truth has a reward. 
but it's not here. Remember, this is a prison letter. Timothy's reading this letter and he knows that his teacher is in prison. I mean, he hasn't been beheaded yet, but the chances of Paul being killed, very high. So Timmy knows, Timothy, he knows that Paul is likely going to die. I mean, it hasn't been dished out yet. And he's reading this letter. Understanding that it is highly probable that this very same fate is in Timothy's future as well. Persecution. But don't forget what what is also written. That we must, through tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. We were made for this. Remember our study through the Thessalonian letters? Understand that truth has a reward, but it is not in this life. It is in the life to come. Truth has a reward, but it is not in this world. It is in paradise. It's not here. He says in verse 7 that he's not lying. He says a teacher of the Gentiles or an instructor of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He says in verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, which is in every space, every quarter, every every room. That men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now remember, holy hands. These are hands that are clean hands which come from a clean heart and a clean mind and understand too that only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. I'll say it again. Only the clean can clean. You see? Pastors. Only the clean can clean. Do not defile yourself, pastor. Self-inflicted. You defile yourself, you're dirty. And only the clean can clean. Because if you're dirty, how can you expect the sheep to be clean? How can you expect the sheep and the lamb to be clean? When it's God's flock, not yours. They belong to the Lord. And the dirty can't clean. Do not defile yourself, pastor. Self-inflicted. See, another problem with Reformed theology and Calvinism is that, you know, it, you know, they come up with, oh, they, 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 they turn God into bipolar, tripolar. Well, there's God's will and then there's his perfect will and then there's his permissive will. You know, they, 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 they change the Lord, which is not just heretical, that's an abomination. They change the Lord. And so, in changing the Lord, they say, well, God wills all things to come to pass. You know, he wants the, the, he made the, he ordained the Holocaust to happen and it happened, you know, for his glory. And, you know, he, he makes, uh, 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 husbands, you know, uh, a husband cheats on his wife and he ordained that and it's for his glory. Um, a, uh, 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 a child is molested. A child is raped. And, you know, God ordained that too. You see, And you have these wicked men 
who create these loopholes for themselves as an excuse for their own wickedness. So a pastor, I'm doing my air quotes, a pastor can say, well, you know, God ordains all things to come to pass and there's God's permissive will and then there's his perfect will. So since God ordains all things to come to pass and since once saved, always saved is true, I'm just giving this example, once saved, always true, once saved, always saved is a lie from the pit of hell. But I'm just giving an example of the Calvinist mind and the Reformed theology mind. They said, well, yeah, since God wills all things to come to pass and once saved, always saved and I'm a Christian and I'm married. I got my wife. I got my kids. But you know what? I'm going to go to this strip club. I'm going to go to this prostitute. I'm going to do this. And since one saved, always saved, that's not God's permissive or that's not, that's not God's perfect will, but it's his permissive will. And so I'm going to go ahead and do this, the strippers, the prostitutes, the casino, the gambling, the Buddha. And you know, one saved, always saved. So look, I'm good to go. I'm okay. I'm in good standing. I'm not in God's perfect will, but I'm in his permissive will. You see? Stupid. That's not sound doctrine. And when it's not sound doctrine, hello law. And you know what's in the law? Death. Pastor. Death. If you're a pastor, you're listening, you're Calvinist, you're Reformed, death. Pastor, forget the sheep for a moment. I'm talking about death for you. Second death. Hello, second death. If you don't repent. Formula's got to be right. You see? Now, that's... If you're not a pastor and you're reformed, you're Calvinist, I love you. But that's a very dangerous ship to be on. Very, very dangerous ship to be on. And it's falling apart as we speak. It's falling apart. Because you look inside church government in Calvinism and Reformed theology. And it is all out of whack. All out of whack. It's a mess. Why? It's built on sand. Look what's happening today when... Wives go to pastors. My husband's cheating on me. My husband did this. My husband's been cheating on me going to the strippers and the prostitutes and all these different things. And you know what the pastors are doing? And they've been doing it for a while. They're protecting the child molesters. They're protecting the disgusting, wicked men. And the wives are are to blame. That's what they're doing. They're blaming the wives. Well, wife, your husband has a problem with pornography because, you know... I hate to tell you, but you know, you let yourself go. You see? Only the clean can clean. Because if the dirty attempt to clean, then the very sheep and lamb that is attempting to be clean becomes more dirty. Only the clean can clean. Old Testament, New Testament, today, only the clean can clean. We say jump ship for a reason. Because if you're in those fellowships, the Calvinists, the Reformed, you're in big trouble. 
Because that building cannot stand and it won't stand. And you know what? There's the bittersweet aspect. In one sense, I say, praise the Lord. But in another sense, I say, get out. Jump ship because that building is falling. And I say, praise the Lord. But before that happens, jump ship. Get out. It is not safe. Sometimes the Reformed, the Calvinists, they get really, really mad at me. How dare you say that? Proof is in the pudding. All you got to do is look. Listen, all you got The pastor says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Because of what he believes on, once saved, always saved. To believe so hardcore in once saved, always saved, so much so that go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You see... Bad doctrine begets bad doctrine, begets bad doctrine, begets bad doctrine, begets hell, begets lake of fire, begets second death. Jump ship. Remember, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. You see? And so we see... In verse 8, that men, the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, holy hands without wrath. This is clean, you know, clean hearts aren't vengeful. Clean hands aren't vengeful. Clean hearts aren't vengeful. Without wrath and doubting. Remember the first question in the Bible? Did God really say? Then all of a sudden, doubt entered. See, doubt breeds fear. And fear is a good thing only, only, only when it's unto the Lord. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Just like we see in the Old Testament. You know, fear of the Lord is good. Fear of the Canaanites, bad. You see? We have Old Testament examples which are written for our admonition. Now, verse 9. Now, a little warning, you know, the major warning label here in verse 9. Maybe not major, maybe little. But a little warning label in verse 9. And actually, verse 9 all the way to the end. little warning label, and it's this. It's directed to women. Now, there are times... Where, you know, I wish I could speak to the men only. I wish I could speak to the women only. I wish I could speak to teenagers only. I wish I could speak to teenage boys only. I wish I could speak to teenage girls only. I wish I could speak to toddlers only. I wish I could speak to pastors only. I wish I could speak to elders only. I wish I could speak to old people only. I wish I could speak to old women only, old men only. There are times where it's like, man, I wish I could just take a all Christianity, I wish I could take all the Christian men, all the Christian women, all the Christian boys, all the Christian girls, and have them like in separate warehouses. Big building, big auditorium, not warehouses, but like, you know, big auditoriums. And just say, okay, young toddlers, this is for you. Young teenagers, this is for you. Men, this is for you. Women, this is for you. Married couples, this is for you. Sometimes I wish I could do that, but I can't. But this is one of those moments where I wish I could speak to women alone. Just a big auditorium, the biggest auditorium on the face of the earth. 
and in the audience, every single female of the faith, which is one guy in the room, <laughs> big warning label here. Today's pastors, men, and even women. But today's pastors in many ways are disqualified. And they disqualify themselves, self-inflicted. You must remember. Now this is for my beautiful sisters in Christ, whom I love. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. But for my beautiful sisters, remember, remember, remember. We're getting an inside look of a very, very small and holy bubble. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, you hear us say bubble and, you know, you hear us say bubble today and that shouldn't, if you've been walking with us for a while, that shouldn't be a surprise. But when we say bubble, I mean, there's a there's a larger bubble of Paul, which are those who uh, acknowledge him as their pastor. You know, in different towns and different regions. Okay, Paul is my pastor. But there's a smaller bubble, a very, very special bubble where Paul is teaching the next generation of pastors. Timothy's one of them. Titus is another. We must remember that this is a very, very special bubble. 14 years walking with Paul, little Timmy. Now he's not so little anymore. Their interest in this very special holy bubble. It's not your money. It's not your sex. It's not your deviances. No, it's your soul. That's their interest, your soul. To present you a chaste virgin to the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's their goal. That's their objective. That's their task. That's their calling. And they are obedient to the Lord. Most pastors today of the male persuasion are disqualified in teaching what we're about to look at today because they teach carnally. And a lot of women have big problems with these verses. Why? Because they submit themselves to a disqualified pastor. You see? That's why, you know, our introduction to the pastoral epistles, we cover certain doctrines, and it's hardcore. We stress formula, 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 formula for a reason. You see, it's very holy for my beautiful sisters. Now, I wish I could speak to just women only. Now, this isn't to say if you're male, you know, go ahead and take a break, you know, close your eyes, take a nap. No, you can listen. But for the women, I wish I could just take all of you precious, precious women and sit you down in the biggest auditorium ever and just teach. Open up my Bible and just teach. This is one of those moments. 
most pastors are disqualified from teaching on these I mean it, most are disqualified from teaching you know period but they take it upon themselves to teach why because they want to serve their belly they want to serve their wallet they want to serve you know in some cases their father the devil you see we we place heavy emphasis on formula for a reason heavy emphasis on bubbles for a reason a very very special holy bubble Paul unto Timothy, the next generation of leadership, of pastors. A lot of men teach these verses that we're going to look at today. They teach it carnally and they do so in error. They create a lot of damage in the church. Damage inside the church and also damage outside the church because you have the rise of feminism. You know, I've had conversations with the feminists before. And the feminists, oh, yeah, I want nothing to do with Christianity because all oh, male chauvinists here and all oh, the, the patriarchy here and the patriarchy there and all oh, this, that, that. And I get, you know, very valid argument. I mean, in some cases, in some cases, they're just straight up crazy. But in other cases, very valid point. Very valid point. But the patriarchy that is often pointed to is done so in error because not of the error in the pointing, but in the error of the object of the pointing, meaning the pastor is wrong. The formula is wrong in the pastor. So for my beautiful sisters whom I love, in this very special holy bubble, Paul to Timothy, these are men who are tasked by the Lord to care for your soul. They don't want your money. They don't want your body. They don't want any kind of, you know, sexual deviance. They don't want any of that. They want to present your soul to Jesus Christ. A type of eunuch. Their mind isn't thinking about sexual things. A type of eunuch in pleasing their master, Jesus Christ. So we see here in verse 9. Women, I love you, my beautiful sisters in Christ. In like manner also, or in the same manner, in verse 9, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, remember... For my beautiful sisters whom I love. Let's forget all men. Let's forget all men. You might be married. Forget about them. Just for a moment. You know, you might have a dad. You know, forget about them. You might have a pastor, elder that are married. Let's forget about them. Forget all men. Just you and me. You and me. No more blue hair and pink hair. <laughs> Just you and me. Let's forget every single male. And open up your Bible to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Actually, Romans chapter 7, verse 4. In Romans 7, verse 4, we see this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. There's a reason for that. When a person is dead to the law, when you, my beautiful sister, are dead to the law, and it is written that you may be married to another, to him. 
who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. The better husband, Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. Now remember, all men we've forgotten. My beautiful sisters, we have forgotten all men. Except for one, the man Christ Jesus. A better marriage unto him. You know, sometimes people say, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And, you know, I get that. I understand that. And I agree with it. But I like to see it as a deeper question. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? I like to see, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I like to see it as a deeper question. Will you marry me? Because there is a better marriage. Marriage unto the Son of the Most High. You see... Most men, in looking at these passages, most men, in, 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 let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, but most men and pastors, they impose carnal mandates. And they themselves are, you know, carnal. And they impose these carnal mandates. But remember, all honor and glory is given unto the Lord. Let's, let's forget all men. You might be married, forget about them, just for a moment. Dad, forget about them. Pastor, forget about them. Elder, forget about them. Forget about all men except the man Christ Jesus. And your marriage unto him. Your marriage unto him. Remember the challenge in Leviticus, if you've been walking with us for a while? Where, you know, we said to think and consider your life as an aroma. Now, what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? Just in your very essence, in your very behaviors, in the thoughts, in the mind, in the heart, in the soul, deep down to the marrow. What aroma do you want to present to the Lord? Something beautiful. And when you consider, you just wipe out all men except the man Christ Jesus. Every fiber of your being an aroma unto him. And your body as a temple. Your body for him. Your mind for him. Your heart for him. Your soul for him. Your everything for him. When your mind is changed to think this way, you'll understand even more why Paul recommends for the unmarried to stay unmarried and for the married to be as though they were unmarried. You see, now when Paul says that, you know, oh, the, for the married to consider your, to, to be as though you were unmarried, it's not so you can go to the bars and you can go to the party at the clubs. No, it's to please and honor and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, the better husband. You see, 
And sometimes women get kind of angry. Oh, how dare you tell me how to dress? How dare you tell me how to, you know, dress like this and dress like that? And listen, most men are carnal themselves. They just, they just say it. Most men say, oh yeah, you know, dress modestly, dress modestly, dress modestly. And then they're go, they do their sex. You know, they go to the prostitutes, they go to the strippers, they do the pornography, they do all kinds of disgusting things. They're disqualified men. They have no business at the pulpit. Most men. But when you remember that every fiber of your being in the temple is holiness unto the Lord, looking forward to the marriage. The marriage hasn't happened yet. Remember, in what we looked at in, in uh, Romans 7, that you may be married to another. Marriage is a future event. For my beautiful sisters, my beautiful, beautiful, precious sisters, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are, but for my beautiful, precious sisters, When you think of the question, maybe you haven't responded to it, maybe you've already responded to, but you know, do you believe in Jesus? Think of it as a deeper question. Will you marry me? Because if you say, yes, Lord, I will marry you. The marriage is a future event. All of a sudden, it puts, it takes the abrasion away from verse nine. Because remember, we're in a, we're in an inside baseball of a very, very special bubble. Remember, Paul. Remember our study in Acts. Paul's not like the average bear. He's different. He's different. That's who teaches Timothy. And in this letter, they got leaked. In this letter, they got leaked and it's captured in the canon of scripture. We see a picture of this inside baseball of this very, very special holy bubble of which very few can tread. Very few have any business treading. Even, I mean, I say even pastors, but pastors, most pastors haven't even entered this holy bubble. Can't even because of their carnality. They teach carnally. And they teach carnally. Sometimes they themselves are carnal. Most of the times they themselves are carnal. Most of the times they disqualify themselves. Remember, formula, 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 formula. It's of utmost import. See, it's very beautiful to submit yourself to a pastor. But it is very dangerous to do so. Because if the formula is wrong, you're in trouble. Now, I don't say that as a threat, like, you know, like, you know, but it is, there's threatening aspects of it. I don't say it as a threat. But understand there are very, very severe threats imposed if the formula is wrong. See, a lot of women 
submit themselves, what they think is godly leadership, but it is ungodly leadership. Counsel. With pastors and elders, a husband is unfaithful to his wife on multiple occasions, multiple women, strippers, prostitutes. The wife has sexually transmitted disease. She was a virgin when she got married. She's been faithful to her husband, and now she has you know sexually transmitted disease. She got it from her husband, who was fooling around doing dirty business. And the formula is wrong. And these wicked, wicked men, husband and pastors and elders, all included in the camp of the wicked. And for my beautiful sisters in Christ, when the formula is wrong, women who submit themselves to that kind of leadership and they think they're following the Lord. Oh, the Bible says I have to submit to my pastor. So I'm going to submit to my pastor and the council of elders. And what do the elders say? You know what they say? They blame the woman. They blame the wife. Wife, it's your fault that your husband has these desires because, you know, you let yourself go. Now you're chubby. Now you're chubby. You're old. You're wrinkly. So now you got to do, go do Botox. Now you got to go to the gym and do. That's the remedy that we're. It's carnal. You see? And then they, you know, they get the guilt trippers. Remember our study in Colossians? You got the guilt trippers. Now they impose this guilt on the wife. Well, you know, wife, I'm sorry that this happened, but God hates divorce. And since your husband has this problem and these sexual proclivities, because it's your fault, wife, because you let yourself go. Now you're chubby. You don't dress this way anymore. You know, and God hates divorce. And you don't want that to happen, do you, wife? You see, a little guilt trip. God hates divorce. Your children are going to be a mess. And look at these statistics of divorce. And your husband has this problem. And you don't want to be the cause of divorce, do you, wife? God hates divorce. And then the wives submitting themselves to the pastors, which the Bible says, yes, submit to the pastor. Which is very, very dangerous to do. The formula better be right. Because if it's wrong, you have women that say, okay, pastor, what should I do? Okay, elders, what should I do? And then the pastors, okay, don't get a divorce. Go to the gym, start working out, start dieting, you know, and start, you know, dressing like this. You start behaving like a floozy, start wearing your makeup so you can look like the floozy. You know, and do all these things. We'll find out what your husband likes. Your husband likes this freak show over here. Your husband likes this freak show over here. Now you got to look like this freak show to please your husband. You see? And then you have women. Women. Okay, pastor, I will do that. Okay, elder, I will do that. And instead of being wife, they become concubine. My beautiful sisters, I love you. But men are straight up stupid. Stupid. I I gotta be careful. Men are dumb. Stupid. I mean, when I think of 
like the warriors in the faith, the large majority women, female. A couple guys. Not a lot. <laughs> most pastors most pastors shouldn't even dream about touching verse 9. Most pastors. And when I say most, I'm talking like, I don't want to say percentage because it'll scare you, but most pastors shouldn't even dream about uttering verse 9 from the pulpit because they're compromised through various means and in various you know manifestations of that, but they're compromised. But when you think of Jesus Christ, my beautiful sister, who asks of you, will you marry me? I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you look like. But the Son of the Most High saying to you, will you marry me? It puts things in proper perspective. You see? Now we see this inside baseball of a very, very, very holy bubble Paul to Timothy. The letter got leaked. Paul to Timothy. Paul's not like the average bear. This is Paul teaching Timothy. Timothy's been walking with him for 14 years. Very, very special bubble, which most pastors have no business even dreaming about entering this bubble. You say, wow, that sounds pretty exclusive. You know, that's not, you know, like it, it sounds like elitism. Well, it is exclusive. But it is not elitism. It's called humility. It's called godliness. It's called Righteousness. Now you see, this is the guy. This is the man, older man, who's writing to a younger man and saying for the women who, this younger man is Timothy and he's in his capacity as pastor now. And he's saying the women adorn, adorn themselves in modest apparel. This isn't Timothy saying, okay, I'm going to mandate that the women that they, you know, don't dress like this, don't dress like this, don't dress like this, don't dress like this. And then I'm going to go do my, you know, sexual stuff. No, I mean, I don't like uttering it that way, but that can be said of most pastors that can't because it's hypocrisy. You hear a pastor say, okay, women, don't dress like this, don't dress like this, don't dress like this, don't dress like this. And they say it. They say it. But what are they doing behind closed doors? With their pornography, with their sex, with their, you know, oh, I'm going to go drive across town and go visit the strippers over there where nobody can see me. I'm going to go across town, see the strippers, see the prostitutes, do this, do that. And I'm going to come back and be home so I can, you know, shave and get cleaned up and stand at the pulpit on Sunday. You know what they're called? Freak shows. 
Well, that's what I call them. They're freak shows. You know what the Bible calls them? Wolves. Servants of Satan. I call them freak shows because that's exactly what they are. Freak shows. Hypocrites. They have no business at the pulpit. But yet, they're at the pulpit. Hello, last days. One of many signs of the times. For my beautiful sisters, when you understand the formula, 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 when you understand formula, you can see, okay, this guy's a freak show. I'm not going to submit myself to him. You know, as pastor, I'm not going to submit myself to this freak show. He's not looking out for my soul. He's looking out for something else. I'm not going to submit myself to him. He's a freak. Okay, so there's this other church. Oh, I'm going to go listen. Okay, his doctrine's crazy. I'm not going to submit myself to him. Okay, I'm going to go to this. He's on his third marriage. You know, and I saw pictures of his first wife and his second wife, and they're old and chubby and wrinkly. And his third wife, she's like, you know, 20 years old. Freak show. I'm not going to submit myself to him. You see, the Bible says, submit yourself to the pastor. You see, which is very holy and very good. But to do that with Paul, beautiful. To do that with Timothy, beautiful. To do that with Hymenaeus, no way. Freak show, no way. You see, these are ones who Paul committed to Satan. Now, we have pastors today who don't do that. Oh, that's not loving. I'm not going to commit anybody to Satan. You see, we have churches on every corner today. So a pastor says something you don't like, you can go across the street and go to this other church. Pastor says, okay, don't do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm done with you, pastor. You're too mean. I'm going to go to this other, this other church where I can do my sex. I can do my drugs. I can do my alcohol. And they call it holy, but you know what? I, I just want to do my, my sex and my drugs. I want to feel good about myself. Hello, like a fire. You see? The formula's got to be right. And when the formula is wrong, you see the rise of carnality in women. Because a woman might submit herself to a pastor who says, okay, women, you know, dress modestly, you know, do this, you know, dress like this. And submitting to a pastor, you see the women, they're all wearing turtlenecks, you know, they're all wearing, you know, uh, big turtlenecks and, you know, dresses down to the ankles and they're you know, doing all these things and they're acting a certain way and dressing a certain way. And just like the Bible says, submitting themselves to the pastor. And then all of a sudden it's found out that the pastor, you know, had sex with the teenager. Uh, the pastor molested one of the uh, the youth group uh, females. Uh, the pastor was with the prostitutes. The pastor was with the strippers. All of a sudden, it's revealed. And then, what happens with the women? You have women that still cling to the fool, still cling to the freak show. And then you have other women who see the hypocrisy. They see it. It's as clear as day. They see the hypocrisy. And then they rebel against the hypocrisy. Then they rebel against the patriarchy. You see, patriarchy with that patriarchy, 
I get it. I understand. For my feminist friends, I love you. The, you know, when you're like down with the patriarchy, yes, I'm on board down with that patriarchy because that patriarchy is a freak show. But when Jesus Christ is patriarch, it is safe. It is beautiful. It is lovely. It is straight up green pastures, still waters. It is holy. And you have pastors where the formula is right in submission to the head pastor, which is Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful patriarchy. Not down with that patriarchy. That's a beautiful patriarchy because it's good for your, it's such a vessel watches out for your soul. You see? And you see Jesus Christ for my beautiful sisters. Beautiful, beautiful, lovely, gorgeous sisters in Christ. And I don't say that as a pervert. I say, you know, bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. What you meditate on, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When I say gorgeous, it's not carnal. The most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women I know. All of them over age 70, wrinkly, chubby, some of them losing their hair. But oh my goodness, the most gorgeous creatures on the planet because of Jesus and his work in them, in their heart, in their mind. Hearts that are so rendered unto the Lord. The most beautiful creatures on the planet. You see, Paul. It's not Paul saying, okay, the women adorn themselves with modest apparel. Okay, now I'm going to go do these, you know, dirty business. No, that's heretical even to think about. But I say these things because, listen, that's not happening. It happens in the world. It happens among pastors. But not with Paul. Not with Timothy. This is a very special, holy bubble. In verse 9, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, remember, when Jesus Christ says, will you marry me? And for my beautiful sisters, when you say, yes, I will marry you. Yes, I will be your bride. Now you see the beauty of modest apparel. Because your mind, your body, your heart, your soul, every fiber of your being, every essence of your being is for him. You see, it's not a carnal man saying, hey, you dress like this, wear your turtlenecks, and I'm going to go see my strippers. Hey, you wear your turtlenecks, and I'm going to go visit the prostitutes. That's carnality. That's hypocrisy. Down with that patriarchy. I'm on board with that. But the formula is wrong. Do not submit yourself to such a fool. And there are many. Many, 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 many. It pains me to say it. But there are, there are many, if not most, 
I'll take it even further. If not all. And it, I, I, I don't like saying that. I, I don't like saying that. It hurts. Because the saints, you have sheep and lamb that need to be clean. Only the clean can clean. The dirty cannot clean. And if the pulpit is dirty, if the one who stands at the pulpit is dirty, he cannot clean. And if he cannot clean, the saints are in trouble. You see? And yet we see within this holy bubble that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. With propriety, which translates as to have the understanding that it's, it's not just modesty, period. But propriety, propriety translates as to have the knowledge and understanding that there's a reason for the modesty that it's unto God in reverence for Him. You see? Modest apparel with propriety, which is knowing that your temple, my beautiful sister, is His. People say, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Which is totally appropriate. But for my beautiful sisters, think of it differently. Think of it deeper. Think of it more profound. Will you marry me? Because if you say yes, Verse 9 is a whole new ballgame. Because it's like, wow. My body, my temple, it's for the Lord. You see? We see this modest apparel with propriety and moderation, which translates as self-control and a sound mind. Self-control and a sound mind. Remember, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes you see, you know, where there's... uh, a literal, a literal taking to certain passages of scripture, which is understandable. And, you know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, you know, it's understandable. I don't want to say it's bad. But sometimes you see Christian women, and this isn't a knock on any Christian women. I love you. Who 
never braid their hair. They never wear gold. They never wear pearls. They never wear costly clothing. And you know, I, I get it. And I'm not to, I'm not suggesting that anybody go against what scripture teaches. But we have to put things in proper perspective. Do you remember in our studies, I mean, we did it a little bit in the New Testament, but we did it in our Old Testament studies, and we speak about the influencers. When when the Lord ter- tells Israel, before they go into the promised land, when the Lord tells them, don't let these other peoples be your influencers. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the Amorites. Don't let them influence you, Israel. You are mine. You are my people. And I am your God. You are mine. Remember in some chapters, you know, one chapter, in the same chapter, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you. Did God change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. And when we were in our, in our, our passages in Deuteronomy, even Numbers, you know, we uh, s- spoke about influencers. That yes, Israel, you're in the wilderness. And yes, you're going to go into the promised land. And yes, you're in the promised land. And yes, there's these surrounding peoples. Don't let these surrounding peoples influence you. And under Joshua, beautiful. The elders, beautiful. When they die, it turns ugly pretty quick. Why? Because these surrounding peoples become their influencers. You see? Just like the warriors, remember with Balaam and Balak? Balak didn't send the warriors down. He sent the women down. And through lust and sex, the camp of Israel became defiled, self-inflicted. The women influenced. They had a power of influence. Now, we must understand these influencers and the the power to do just that, to influence. There were priestesses in the early church age. Roman priestesses, Greek priestesses, they were everywhere. There was a cultural standard. You know, like, you know, you go to like a, a, a business environment. Say you're like walking on, you know, the example we gave earlier, you know, where, you know, I got my blue hair, you got your pink hair. We're walking down the street. And then, you know, say we're like in a business environment. Say we're in like, you know, the financial district of New York City, you know, we're in Wall Street district. You know, you're going to see a lot of business attire. You're going to see the suits and business suits. You're going to see a lot of business attire. Everybody walking quickly because they're got to, you know, make the next deal. They're taking a break. They got to get lunch. They get their knish on the corner. You know, all these things, you're going to see it. You're going to see a lot of business attire. Then you're going to see like, you know, two crazy people. One with the blue hair, one with the pink hair. And we're going to observe these things. But understand this attire. Very common among the priestesses certain not disheveled but among the priestesses how they would braid their hair you know and then you know in worship unto their gods and you know depending on what god it was depending on what you know what what object of worship it was the god of goddess of fertility the goddess of sex the goddess of whatever you know all of a sudden for a christian female to be 
dressed and look like these influencers in the town. Now it poses certain risks for the Christian. You see? Because, I mean, if it was like, you know, a, a, you know if a, a priestess with the sex god, and, you know, among those priestesses, there was in a form of their worship was sex. And, you know, that's just how it was. I'm not trying to say like, oh, it was sex and, you know, okay, fine and dandy. No, it was sex and that's how they served their god, the, the sex god. And so in service to worship their god, they had these, you know, the, it was kind of like open door policy for sexual behavior, sexual deviancies. Now, to understand the framework of that environment. I mean, let's go back in time. If we take a time machine, we go back in time. Do you know how dangerous it would be? A 15-year-old girl. Say you have a 15-year-old a fifteen-year-old girl in the church. And, you know, we go back in time to, to, to this time when, you know, when Paul writes this letter to Timothy. We go back in time. And to a girl who's, you know, she's been influenced by those outside the church. She's been influenced by those powerful influencers that are in the culture of this time frame. She has the, the gold. She has the pearls, the costly clothing, the braided hair. And she's walking down the street. Now, certain dangers are now opened up to her. Because some freak show might think, oh, you know, look, she's she's a priestess in the sex temple. She's a priestess of the God of sex, so now I'm going to approach her. You see, there's dangers behind societal norms. There's dangers behind cultural norms. These are things that were a big deal in the early church. They've always been a big deal. Cultural norms. But as we get further in the events of the last days, and culture gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker and darker. And don't forget, there's going to come a time when the Holy Spirit will be lifted. Now, for my beautiful sisters, I'll say, especially the teenagers. Even younger, younger girls, eight years old, nine years old, who will be teenagers in no time. Kids grow so fast. I mean, you know, one minute they're born, next minute they're, you know, off to college, you know. If, if you're acclimated to being influenced by cultural norms and social norms, there's a danger behind that. I mean, there's a danger today. And for my young, beautiful sisters, teenagers, and even younger, look for the godly women. Let them be your influence. You know, social media, everybody wants the likes, everybody wants the whatever, they want to be the, the social media influencer, they want the, you know, whatever, they want to be like the it girl. And I get, I, I get it, I mean, in some ways I don't get it, but in other ways I do get it. I think it's quite beautiful the desire for 
the desire that ladies have to be beautiful. I think it's I think it's lovely. I think it's beautiful itself. But let not your influence be that of the world. Remember, the Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. And when that becomes your influence, it presents dangers to you. Just look at Israel. When Canaan was the influence, when the uh, Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, when they were the influencers. You see? They say goodbye to the Lord and they say hello to Baal. Goodbye, Lord. Hello, Baal. Hello, Molech. Hello, Ashtoreth. You see? And the Lord responded. See, the Lord is reactionary. And you see the Old Testament example of the very thing that we studied earlier, which is salt loses its flavor. I don't want you to lose your flavor. Because when salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Then be trampled underfoot by men. I don't want you trampled underfoot by men. And yet we see that among women. My beautiful sisters. Remember, starting in verse 9, this is like all women. I meant men too. I mean, listen up men, but I meant for women especially. You see a lot of basket case women in churches because they've been trampled underfoot by men and in some cases inside the church. Carnal men. Foolish men. Wicked men. At the pulpit, men who serve their belly. Their God is their belly, their God is their wallet, and their God is Lucifer. At the pulpit. Remember Paul when he's talking to the Corinthian saints and he says, I fear because you might put up with it. You might put up with the preacher guy with a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit. And you, Corinthian saints, you might put up with it. In Galatia, they put up with it. I mean, in Corinth, they put up with it. The defunct. See, the attack never ceases. We see what happens when Israel is influenced by things and peoples outside the camp. The camp becomes defiled. We see it in churches. But we also see it in hearts. All of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit starts to diminish. The gifts of the Spirit start to diminish. You see the rise of carnality and the rise of the flesh. These are things that we're going to see on the rise exponentially in the last days as people defect away from truth and turn into apostates. The rise of apostasy. Why? No love of truth. You see? They believe for a while but in time of temptation, fall away. I say we're going to see this happen, but it's already happening. So a young girl, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, walking down the street, when she looks like a, 
a priestess of, say, the sex god. A priestess of, you know, the, the priestess who are more like prostitutes. And in service to their fertility gods and their sex gods, you know, being approached by all men who, you know, I'm doing my air quotes, they want to worship that God. They don't want to worship that guy. It's just, you know, religion sanctioned sex. That's all it is. It's like, you know, sex in their, in their temple. And you have these wicked men, you know, oh, wow, I want to worship your God. I want to worship your God. Come on, let's go over here to this room. Let's go over here. Let's go to this place over here. I want to worship your God. And a 15-year-old girl, Christian girl. You see, all of a sudden, having this certain adornment is a threat to her. And so when Paul says, you know, remember, this is a very, very special bubble. Very special bubble. This isn't, this isn't your common pastor that we see today. These aren't common. These are not, these are different men. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy that got leaked. You see? So when he says in verse 9 that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, it's not to say, oh, you know, put the women under your thumb and make them behave like this and make them dress like this and this and this and this. No, it's for their benefit, for their advantage, for their safety. Remember, in verse 2, the objective is to live and keep and lead a quiet and peaceable life, tranquil, still, and undisturbed in all godliness and reverence, to be virtuous and be in honor. That's the objective. Now, Paul is saying to Timothy, since that's the objective, we want virtue and honesty and honor and reverence and godliness in the church and we want the saints to be tranquil and still and undisturbed and quiet and peaceable and we want that for them and their lives and serving the lord we want that okay timothy pray for the leaders pray for government first remember in verse one first of all pray for their leaders you see in verse 8, special blueprints for men. In verse 9, special blueprints for women. Timothy, enact these in the church. And this isn't, you know, like, like Paul saying, okay, you know, put the men under your thumb, put the women under your thumb and mandate this. And, you know, you go, you can, can you know, you go to the, the clubs, Timothy. And I don't want to present heresy, but that's what you see in the church today. You see these wicked carnal men daring, daring, because they have no fear of the Lord, daring to even utter verse 9 to women. Male pastors. And they dare, without the fear of the Lord, they dare teach verse 9. And they place women under their thumbs. Have you ever seen a church where there's like slave, like the women are slave class? I mean, you see the guy, he's got a smile and like, well, cool. You know, this guy's happy and this kid, boy is, you know, he's happy, happy, go lucky. And then you see the women and they're like slaves. There you go. Remember in Christ, there is no male nor female in Christ. There is a hierarchy in order. 
But there is no male nor female. There is equality in Christ. Remember, formula, formula, formula. So now you have, remember we're in a time machine. You know, we, we have 15 year old girl. Now her hair's unbraided. She doesn't have the gold, the pearls, costly clothing. She's walking down the street and she's not getting approached by the freak show that wants to, you know, quote unquote, worship the God of fertility. She's not getting approached because she's not influenced. They know, okay, look, she's probably a Christian. You see, now it's safe for the 15 year old girl. Beautiful, beautiful. There's no imposing. There's no like, hey, you're going to be under my thumb. and you're, Because that's what you see in the church today. That's exactly what you see in the church today. But remember, this is a very special bubble. Very special bubble. It's... I understand the desire for beauty. For my sisters in Christ, I don't care how young, I don't care how old you are. But for my beautiful sisters in Christ, I understand the desire for beauty. Maybe not the extremes of it. And in a lot of ways, I'm in agreement to the desire for beauty with major stipulation. There is nothing, nothing, nothing more beautiful, more exquisite, more gorgeous than righteousness. Nothing. Nothing at all. And I don't say these so that, oh, I want you to feel good about yourself. I don't say these things for that reason. Me personally, I have a very shameful history. Shameful history. And yet, I say this with even greater emphasis. There is nothing more beautiful than righteousness. Nothing. See, when you understand the bubble, not the greater bubble, the smaller bubble, which Paul and the next generation of pastors, you see verse 9 in a different light. Because these are men who watch out for your soul. You see? Your soul. They're not watching out for any other thing except your soul to be presented to the Lord as a chaste virgin. Clean. Only the clean can clean. The dirty cannot clean. The hypocrite cannot clean. The compromised cannot clean. The wolf cannot clean. The hireling cannot clean. You see? The servant of Satan cannot clean. They only defile. You see? And so we see in verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness. Now, this is... Professing godliness, this is beautiful. Because Paul says, for which is proper for women professing godliness. But this is, 
to assert as messenger. Now, this is a word that is used for apostles, a word that is used for pastors, and a word that is used for angels. Highly prized, highly prized. People think, oh, you know, oh, pastor, that is like, you know, the epitome of, the epitome of serving the Lord is like pastor. But I don't see that. I don't see that at all. There's something better. The woman of God. The lady of the way. These are things that we're going to look at in a couple more verses. But this is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Remember, the better adornment. You see, like you see, like in, in, in verse 9, with braided hair and with the gold, with the pearls, with the costly clothing. But in verse 10, you see the professing godliness with good works. This is the better adornment, the more beautiful, the more precious adornment. We see in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. This is very difficult in the last days. Very, very difficult in the last days. Very. Because men are stupid. Men are just straight up stupid. And I'm talking about the men in the pulpit. In verse 11, remember, Paul and Timothy, these are the average bear. And today you have Men in the pulpit who, you know, put their thumb over the people, put their thumb over the women. Oh, verse 11, let a woman learn in silence. And then you walk in their churches and you see like, oh, the women are like slaves. The women are like slave class. It's like, you know, all the men are happy. The men got a smile on his face. And you talk to the men, you know, how's your wife? And the men say, oh, yeah, she's doing good. Oh, I have a great wife. Oh, why do you say you have a great wife? Well, she cleans my house. She cooks. Oh, I have a great wife. She takes care of the kids and she cooks and she cleans. It's like, wow. Kind of sounds like a slave. So you got a maid, you got the cook, you got the nanny. Wow. Kind of sounds like a slave. Oh, I got a good wife. She cooks, she cleans, she takes care of the kids. Remember, for the, for the husband, for the men, the buck stops with you. You get a lot of, you know, freeloader men who say, well, you know, my wife takes care of the kids. I go home and I, I go to work. I bring home the bacon and the wife takes care of the kids. But you read the Bible, the buck stops with you. Husband, men, the buck stops with you. See, you have responsibility. Oh, I'm too tired. I'm too tired. Well, you should have thought about that before you did the business. You should have thought about that. But because you didn't think, now you reap what you sow. We see verse 11, let, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Very difficult. Very difficult. I found out recently of a pastor. 
married to four wives in the same ceremony. And he already had a wife and in the ceremony married to four wives. You see? And in that congregation, you have people. You also have elders. And nobody... The el- you see, everybody said, oh, yeah, church should have a council of elders. Churches need to have a pastor, pastors and a council of elders. Yes, yes, the, the biblical blueprints, you know, a council of elders is good. Pastors, good. But the formula's got to be right. Look at this church has a council of elders. Wicked, wicked, wicked men. Why are they wicked? Because they refused to control the wicked pastor. And in so doing, bring harm and shame to the name of the Lord. And in so doing, the sheep cannot be cleansed, cannot be clean. I think of Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. I meant... For my beautiful sisters, put yourself in Chloe's shoes, her Chloe's sandals. You fear the Lord, you love the Lord. You see, you know that the, the special bubble of Paul, teacher of pastors, and you submit yourself to Paul, and yet you live in Corinth. See, submitting yourself to Paul, it's holy. It's good. Because he watches out for your soul. And yes, the Bible says submit to a pastor. But the pastors of Corinth? Look at Chloe. I'm not submitting to that. No way. But I'll have my home fellowship. See? When the Bible says here in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, that became an impossibility for Chloe. You see? That became an impossibility for Chloe. So what did she do? She jumped ship. You see? I know Paul is on the other side of town, but I'm submitting to Paul. And I can't submit to this guy because he's a freak show. I can't submit to this guy because he's a freak. I can't submit to this guy because he's a freak. And this guy's a freak show. This guy's a freak show. I see the fruit, what's going on in the church. I see the sex and the alcohol, the extortion that is happening in the, inside the church. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5? I see there's a guy in the church that's having sex with his dad's wife. And who's his pastor? I'm not going to submit myself to that freak show. So what does Chloe do? I'm jumping ship. I'm out of here. Home fellowship. You see? Verse 11 is absolutely biblical. This is something that Paul, a very special bubble, is saying to Timothy. That yes, a woman learns in silence with all submission. But in the case of Chloe... That was an impossibility with what she had. It was an impossibility. And Paul and Timothy weren't near. Titus wasn't near. 
All she had were the freak shows. Remember Paul? 10,000 teachers, one father. When you put yourself in Chloe's shoes, it's like, what do I do? What do I do? Do I just deal with it? Do I just go to this church? Do I just like enter this church and this fellowship and I know it's popular and I know this and it's got the, people call it the fruit, but it's not the fruit of the spirit because there's a lot of people here, but a lot of people are in sin. A lot of people are in trouble. Do I submit myself to this pastor who doesn't correct this brother who's having sex with his dad's wife? Even like, kind of like, can I even call him brother? Because look, he's having sex with his dad's wife. Even she hit the eject button and fellowship at home, home fellowship. You see, a lot of times where you see churches where the, the women are slave class. A lot of times they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sisters. The problem is they don't understand formula and because they don't understand formula they submit themselves to the fool you see a big problem in the church today and yet we see here in verse 12 and i do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man you see now, biblically speaking, pastors have authority and headship in a church. Not, not the ultimate headship. That's Jesus Christ, the head pastor of the church. But biblically, pastors do have authority in the church. Women pastors? That's unbiblical. Women pastors is unbiblical. Wrong formula. But even this truth in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. This is something that is also becoming more difficult for my beautiful sisters and beautiful sisters in Christ. You know why? Because men are stupid. Men are dumb. The formula. The formula has to be right. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. In the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, coverings are always male. Always male. Old Testament, New Testament, coverings are always male. I mean, look at the ultimate covering, Jesus Christ, male. I mean, picture a robe. I mean, we don't see robes of metal, robes of wood, robes of plastic. We don't see those things, but we do see robes of cloth. And in this manner, it's the same thing. Robes, male. Covering, male. And I don't say this pridefully, like, you know, oh, you know, get under my thumb and you will obey. And I, I, No, I don't say it like that. Remember, this is like women, women, very special emphasis on women. This isn't said pridefully, but it's said scripturally. Understand that the formula must be right. You see, where you see women pastors and women elders and women overseers, where you see that, it is unbiblical. Wrong formula. 
wrong formula. It's unbiblical. And so we see in verse 12 that Paul says, I don't, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, this is absolutely difficult. Because how can a person be in silence over this abomination and travesties that are happening in the church today in these last days? How can you be silent? But I marvel at the beauty of Chloe. You see? I marvel at the beauty and wisdom of Chloe. Because she looks around, sees this church over here, church over here. This is in Corinth. Looks around, sees the fruit in the church, sees the fruit of the Spirit, you know, lack thereof. I can't. And I cannot submit myself to this guy who calls himself pastor. I cannot submit to this man. I cannot submit to this guy. So I'm going to go try out this place in, in Corinth. I'm going to go to the other side of town, the other side of Corinth, and this fellowship. And wow, this is an even bigger freak show. I cannot submit myself to this guy. You see, Chloe understands formula. She looks at the congregation, the people, the fruit, lack thereof. I can't submit to this guy. I mean, picture that exhaustion alone. Just trying to, trying to find a place to fellowship. Trying to find a place like, where can I learn the word of God? That's all I want. I just want the word. Where can I go? I go over here. The guy's having sex with his dad's wife. I'm not going to submit myself to the pastor that teaches that because Look, look who is being tolerated inside the church. I can't submit to myself to the, you know, the, 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 where you see the alcoholism and this is the, 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 the extortion. That's the, the, that's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of the flesh. It's the works of the flesh. It is wickedness in the camp. Who's the teacher? That guy? I can't submit to that freak. You see? So what does Chloe do? You know, home fellowship. I can't go to this church. I can't go to that church. I can't go to this church. I can't go to that church. I can't go to this. I can't go here. I can't go here. I can't go here. I can't go here. What do I do? What do I do? I can't go here, 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 here. Home fellowship. I'm going to submit to the teachings of Paul. I'm going to submit myself to the teachings of Paul because he watches out for my soul. And I'm going to have my home fellowship. You see? Women. Women teaching women. Chloe teaching women. Or whoever was the teacher, but women unto women. Because remember, understanding the formula. In verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. This isn't Chloe saying, well, I can't go here, I can't go here, I can't go here, I can't go here, so I'm going to start a church and I'm going to be the pastor. No. 
She says, I'm going to have a home fellowship and I can't have authority over men. I can't teach, you know, I have authority over men. So I'm going to teach women. See, she understands formula. You see, do you remember in our study in Corinth, in our first Corinthians, when, you know, a, when when I said that I can make a strong case that you know a uh, a uh, 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 fellowship of only women uh, and she's probably single she's probably maybe a widow and I make a strong case you remember well there are certain qualifiers where it's like okay if there's men there maybe they're like little boys maybe they're like children you see and it's like you see all women why because she understands formula she can't teach and have authority over a man. So what fellowship was this? Think of all the women of Corinth, where the formula was right. These beautiful, beautiful saints. Where Chloe and these women, they acknowledge and they say, wow, look at these freak shows who call themselves pastors. And Chloe says, you know what? I got space. Let's submit ourselves to Paul and his teachings because he is a qualified vessel. He meets the biblical qualifications. You see? The formula in Paul is right. And let's submit to him and what he teaches. Because he watches out for our souls. You see? He's not like this freak show across the way. He's not like this other freak show across the way. He's looking out for something else. You see? But for my beautiful sisters in Christ, there's another problem that is arising in these last days. And it is pride. These are things to watch out for. Pride. And the Jezebel spirit. You see? And sometimes ladies get mad. They say, oh, there is no Je the Jezebel spirit. That's unbiblical. Okay. Okay. I get it. You say Jezebel's spirit is unbiblical. Well, the, in the Old Testament, there is a Jezebel. In the New Testament, there is a Jezebel. A thousand, about a thousand years. A thousand year gap. How is that accomplished with this thousand year gap? Is it the same Jezebel? Thousand year gap? How is it accomplished were it not spiritual and not of the Holy Spirit? You see? The Jezebel spirit for my beautiful sisters in Christ. Look at the beautiful humility of Chloe. What do I do? What do I do? This pastor's a freak show. This pastor's a freak. This pastor's a freak show. This pastor's a freak. Formula's wrong. Doctrine's crazy. You know, this guy wants to go back to the law, Hebrew roots. This guy, you know, teaches replacement theology. This guy wants to go grave soaking. This guy says, take the mark of the beast. Let's still be saved. This guy's the money preachers. This guy's a pervert. This guy's this. This guy's a crackhead. This guy goes to the, the, uh, the casino. This guy goes to the strippers. This guy goes to Buddha. This guy goes to Mary. This guy goes here. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? The Jezebel spirit says, well, I'm going to have my own church and I'm going to teach men and women. That's the Jezebel spirit. And you see, you, you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. 
and you see the women pastors. The unbiblical formula on full display. Women pastors. They call themselves pastors. They call themselves teachers as having authority over men. But they're exposing themselves as Jezebel. But for my beautiful sisters in Christ, look at Chloe. Look at the beauty of Chloe and the humility of Chloe, who recognizes this guy's a freak, this guy's a freak, this guy's a freak. They call themselves pastors, but look at the fruit. Because inside this church, there's a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife and the freak show pastor hasn't said anything to him. Because remember, only the clean can clean. Now Chloe knows, okay, that pastor, he's compromised. He's dirty. Because only the clean can clean. He's dirty. I dare not submit myself to him because he's watching out for something else. He's not watching out for my soul. He's watching out for something else. He's a freak show. A wolf, hireling, servant of Satan. You see? And in humility, no Jezebel spirit. In humility. Home fellowship. You see? This is so, you know, be wise for my beautiful sisters in Christ. Be wise. Because a lot of men at the pulpit, they have no business teaching these because of their compromise. They have no business teaching from verse 9 on. I mean, they have no business teaching, period. But you see carnality in the pastors because they teach carnally because they're carnal themselves. But when you have this perspective of very, very special bubble and perspective of vessels that watch out for your soul and vessels that are, their minds are not carnal and they teach in a manner for a reason to help you in your walk with the Lord and to equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm reminded, you know, I used to have a friend who was a heavyweight wrestler. And I had another friend, you know, one is the heavyweight wrestler was West Coast. The heavyweight um, boxer, Golden Gloves, was East Coast. And they got in a fight. It was a control fight. It was like, you know, you know, round one, round two. We just wanted to see, you know, we were a group of guys and we wanted to see, like, you know, we just saw them fight. And it was regulated. And it's very interesting to understand the advantage of feet game and the ground game because the boxer wanted to be on his feet the wrestler wanted to be on the ground you see because you know when the wrestler's on the ground he has the advantage when the boxer's on his feet he has the advantage it's very similar stratagem for in the last days and remember for women i mean for men too but i speak to women my beautiful sisters in christ very similar. Because submission to a male pastor is holy. 
But there's more to it. It's not just a blanket statement. Well, submit yourself to this guy. He's a pastor. No, it's very dangerous to do that. The question is, where are they? You see, and there's major, major, major prophetic implications to the very thing that the very thing that we see today. Major prophetic implications because a lot of times you have people who you know, pastors, who teach. Well, you know, the church isn't past Revelation 4 because it's raptured. No, that's not why at all. Now, I don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. You want to know the reason? Because it's not in the Bible. It is unbiblical. Now, if you're listening for the first time, it probably comes as a shock because everybody teaches pre-trib. I don't because it's unbiblical. Now, I say that but listen to other studies we have. One of them is called uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. The next one is called When is the Rapture? And the next series is our study through 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians. Listen to those studies and you'll understand more. Very important. But you have pastors today who, well, you know, the church isn't mentioned in Revel past Revelation 4 because it's been raptured. But no, that's unbiblical. The reason why is because the church has entered judgment. What Brother Peter says, that judgment comes first to the house of God. Judgment begins in the church. You see a shift where church isn't mentioned in Revelation, something else is saint, a remnant. Just like that ground game. You're like a you know you're like a, a heavyweight wrestler. Ground game. That's your advantage. You see, if you're you know you fight on your feet, okay, you know, stand up, you know, you're the boxer. No ground game, you know, you, where's your advantage? And this, this, this isn't carnal. I'm not say, saying this in a carnal way, but understand the framework of what we have to work with in these last days. You know, this pastor's a freak show, freak show, freak show, freak show. Doctrine is wrong, doctrine is wrong, doctrine is wrong, doctrine is wrong. Formula wrong, formula wrong, formula wrong. He's compromised, compromised, compromised. And from a beautiful sisters, it's not, you know, just like Chloe. She didn't just say, well, I'm going to settle for this church. No, she said, you know what? Ground game. Ground game. Let's, you know, home fellowship. Women, all the, think of all the women who just, who saw like, wow, you know what? This church is pretty messed up. And then they find out, well, there's a fellowship in Chloe's house. I'm going to go there. You see? Notice the body of people, those in Chloe's household, they were the ones who notified Paul of what was happening in Corinth. I mean, you hear us say only the clean can clean, and absolutely only the clean can clean. Look at how those in Chloe's household, look how they cleaned. But they were female. They didn't clean like themselves. They cleaned another way, which aligns to proper formula. They say, Paul, 
Look at this stuff that's happening in the church. You see? And Paul cleans house. A vessel of the Lord. Everything in accordance to this beautiful, holy formula. You see? Look at the wisdom of Chloe. Look how wise Chloe is. Recognizing the framework. I mean, picture like a sister in her own fellowship saying, oh, we got to talk to that pastor. And then Chloe just gently saying, you know, listen, sister, that's that's not pleasing to the Lord because the formula, 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 but there's this. Let's tell Paul. <laughs> because he's the male covering. You see? Male covering and the ladies, oh, I'm done with males because this guy, he's a freak show. This other guy is a freak show. I'm done with males. And Chloe, like, you know, I'm practically done with males too, except there's this one. Paul. You see? Look at the beautiful, beautiful wisdom of Chloe. Just that, just that, like... It just blows me away so much. She definitely didn't go with the flow. You know, dead fish go with the flow. It takes effort to go against the grain, to go against the flow. Dead fish go with the flow. And look at Chloe. Not on my watch. That's what she says, not on my watch. Look at how she operates and navigates According to formula, formula, formula. And look how beautiful. I mean, look at what came to Corinth through Chloe and those in her household. You see? With proper formula. You see this beautiful wisdom? I can't, I can't wait to meet Chloe. I can't wait to see her. You see, and tell her that she's one of my heroes. Because for that stand, that's a that's that's a tough cookie. That's a very strong stand. Not like the average bear. You see? Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. You see, there's an order and sequence. See, no confusion. There's a specific order and sequence of events in the order of that the Lord has put forth. Our study, if you've been walking with us for a while, our study in the book of Genesis. We see here in verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, we have an abundance of stupid men. Today, we have an abundance of stupid men, an abundance of stupidity at the pulpit. Now, I know people get mad at me sometimes. How do you say it like that? Okay, okay. I'll say it like Paul. We have an abundance of idiotes at the pulpits. And that's where we get the word idiot from, without understanding. So to put it like Paul, we have an abundance of idiots at the pulpit. Now, I wanted to be nice. We have an abundance of stupid people, but people get mad at me sometimes. So I'll say it like Paul. We have an abundance of idiots at the pulpit. Because you have a lot of men who are carnal. 
They say, well, you know, see, the men are superior because, you know, Eve was deceived and the men are superior. But remember, in Christ, there's no male nor female. Where do you see superiority? You don't see that. Don't forget, in our study in Numbers, first census, dead. Second census, life. First census, dead. Second census, promised land. Second census, the inclusion of females. Don't forget. For men with the superior, superiority complex, I'll tell you something, men. In my experience, I've noticed an interesting, just an observation. And it's that Satan approaches those who are threats to him. You see? I mean, if you read verse 14, you're like, you see, okay, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And if you use that verse to inflate your ego, if you use that verse to help you in a superiority complex, let me chop that puppy down right here and right now. Satan approaches those who are threats to him. Yes, Eve was deceived. But what equipping did she have? And not to suggest that, that there's insufficiency of God's instructions at all. But I only desire to caution that we men take heed lest we fall. Remember, to whom is given, much more is required. A lot of carnal men, they look at verse 14 to puff up their ego in a superiority complex. But don't, don't look at truth that way. Do not approach scripture that way. Remember, humility, humility, humility. Yes, she was deceived. And it, it came at a cost. But she's, she doesn't have the Eve. She doesn't have the equipping that you do today, old man. You see? In verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Now, notice this is singular. Now, this is speaking of the women. Remember, in, 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 in verse 9, you know, in like manner also the woman. And giving this example of women in verse 12, not to teach or have authority over, the, over a man, but to be in silence. In verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Biblical truths. But with these biblical truths, we must have a biblical understanding of what these truths mean in the church today and for the church today. Which is a rarity because a lot of carnal men teach carnally. But we see of the women, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Now notice, this is singular, nevertheless, she, the woman, 
will be saved in childbearing. And you have a lot of carnal pastors who, and wicked and carnal pastors who use a carnal framework to a spiritual matter, which is carnal in itself and wrong. And as a remedy, they say, well, you know, have lots of babies. And sadly, and it breaks my heart, a lot of women do just that. They figure, well, you know, I'm, I have a problem with the carnal nature. I have this habitual sin and I have this, you know, and so what do I do? I want to be saved. What do I do? I believe in Jesus. I want to be saved. What do I do? I'm going to have lots of babies because the pastor says in verse, verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. So, okay, and I'm going to have lots of babies so I can be saved. It becomes a salvation issue. This happens. I mean, you might be listening. You're like, does this really happen? Yes, it really happens. It really happens. And it breaks my heart. Verse 15 says, nevertheless, you will be saved in childbearing if they, now it's not singular anymore. Remember verse 15, she will be saved, singular, she. But now we see if they continue in faith. So it's no longer singular. So now we have the mom and her beautiful baby. Now we see if they continue, which is to stand, to abide, to endure. If they continue, this is now the mom and her beautiful baby. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. My beautiful sisters in Christ. Don't be bummed out over ministry. Because it is biblically true, if you're female, you cannot be pastor, you cannot be elder. Cannot. It's not the formula. You cannot. Very specific formula. And yes, there is sadness associated with that because of the implication unto the saints. But for you specifically, my beautiful sister... Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Be of good cheer. Because this holy formula has other advantages. A ministry that is better than pastoring. It is to be the overseer of a child. See, it is absolutely true that in this very special holy bubble, Paul unto Timothy and the letter got leaked. In this very special holy bubble that Paul poured beautifully into Timothy. But who were the first fruits of that pouring? Mama, you see, Mama, and 
and grandma. Female. The next generation of pastoral ministry influenced by the female. Mama and grandma. Eunice and Lois. Just like beautiful Hannah. Female. Praying. Unbeknownst to her, praying for the one who would anoint the king of Israel. You see? The fruit of her womb, beautiful Samuel. See, a lot of my sisters in Christ get really bummed out. Really, really bummed out. And that's like, that's putting it lightly. I mean, they get really like just in total sorrow at what the state of the church is. And yes, I'm on board. I'm in sorrow. I'm in sorrow over the state of the church today. And a lot of my beautiful sisters, you see, you realize like, oh my goodness, this pastor's a freak. Oh my goodness, this pastor's a freak. And who are his elders? Oh my goodness, they're all freak shows. And yes, this church has a council of elders, but they're all compromised. They're all freak shows. And you have pastors, they like, they, they protect the predators, child molesters. They protect them. You know, they, they don't call the police. They don't call, they, they try to hide it under the rug. A pastor molests a child. They try to hide it under the rug. Pastors are compromised. Pastors have no business at the pulpit. They're freak shows. They're being exposed as freak shows. They're being exposed as the wolves, the hireling, whose God is their belly, and they serve their God, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. Now, it's not to sorrow over that. In that, there's like, okay, that's indignation, righteous indignation. The sorrow is over the saints. What's going to happen to the sheep? What's going to happen to the lambs? And for my beautiful sisters, look at the beautiful wisdom of Chloe. You know, she can't, she can't fight in the, in the standing game. But she has a killer ground game. You see? Strategy. Wisdom. Coupled with godliness and righteousness and holiness. And look at how the Lord cleaned house using Chloe and those in her household. How? By going to the male covering, Paul, where the formula is right. You see? And when the house is cleaned up and there's a separation, you have a remnant in Corinth, now look how safe it is for Chloe and those in her household to once again be enjoined with the saints in Corinth. You see the wisdom? Within the framework of very special and beautiful blueprints that the Word of God has for us, And it's like, you know, sometimes women get bummed out like, wow, I can't be a pastor. I can't be a pastor. And it's true. You can't be a pastor. I mean, if you're female, you cannot. And I don't say that like, you know, ha, 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 you cannot. No. 
look at the better ministry. I mean, if you have a son, if you have children and one of them happens to be a son, even if one of them isn't a son, I mean, you can train the next Chloe. You can teach and pour into the next Chloe. Or you can teach and pour into the next Timothy. You see? I see that as the better ministry than pastoring. You know why? Because of your ability, not just ability, your call. Your call for the next generation, yes, of the faith, the next generation of righteousness, but for young little tiny ears to have ears to hear and eyes to see. And just like in Timothy's case, how it was prophesied that he would be in ministry. You see, the next generation of pastors teaching and pouring in. Not in the fellowship where there's the freak show pastor. Just like Chloe, home fellowship. Beautiful wisdom. You see? Submitting herself to the teaching of Paul where the formula is right. Also submitting to the teaching of Paul is Lois and Eunice. The first fruits of the pouring into little Timmy. And now look at Timmy. Now look at Timothy. Pastor Timothy. You see? Beautiful. You see, Paul watches out for the soul. He's not looking out for carnal interests. We started verse 9 and it came with a heavy, 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 heavy warning label because most men, they teach verse 9 carnally. But the word of God is spiritually discerned. It is not carnal. You see? They teach carnally and they teach with carnal inclinations and you look at the fruit and you see the slave class women in the church. Instead of wives, you see concubines. You talk to the men. Hey, how's your wife doing? Oh, she got, I got a good wife. She's so great. She's so good. She cleans the house. She cooks, you know. She takes care of the kids. That's carnal. You see the, you know, when sometimes people speak and like instantly you know, okay, this is their doctrine. Probably a Calvinist. Probably Reformed. Sometimes they say other things. Okay, probably Charismatic. Probably Pentecostal. Sometimes they speak other. Oh, probably uh, Apostolic Reformation. New Apostolic Reformation. You see? When they speak, you know. Okay, they're... They're... Their influencer is probably this guy or somebody who aligns with that. Their influencer is probably this or that or this or that. Very specific formula. I mean, the introduction to the pastoral epistles, kind of hardcore. But for a reason. You see? You can't fight on your feet? Okay. 
Ground game. You got a bad ground game? Okay. Boxing gloves. See, this is how we fight. Fighting the good fight. Male, female, I don't care. Fight the good fight. Until our last dying breath. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.